and welcome to Movie of the Year, the only podcast on the internet that has the science and the screaming to determine what is the single greatest movie of any given year. We are continuing our deep delve into 2020, making us basically the opposite of everyone on the planet. As everybody tries to run away from the year, we go deeper in. Tonight's a very special Ooh. episode to me because at one point I said uh, tonight's movie is one of my favorites of the year. So that's pretty crazy. Returning is our champion from last week. It's the late, great Kate. <laughs> this show is obsessed with me. <laughs> I hate this. <laughs> you guys can't get enough, dude. We did this to ourselves. <laughs> we signed up for this. Much like in Universal's Dark Universe, uh, we have created a monster, and now we have to deal with it. Russell Crowe. Uh, <laughs> it costs us $150 million. Yeah. Kate, oh just for winning last week, how many points do you deserve right now? Oh, I think between that and literally being like a pop star to you guys, I think I should start with seven. Seven points. Let's do one. Uh, she aimed high, man. Greg, Greg is also here. It. Is this pop star energy making you nervous about tonight's game? Uh, no. Well, it doesn't feel exactly. The, the first cow episode doesn't feel like whoever's going to come in and razzle dazzle you is the one that's going to do it, right? You want something kind of <laughs> sweet, slow, right? Maybe something something a little bit boring. Well, have I ever got the guy for you? Oh, this is a Greg show. Up that's and down. right. It's me. Greg. Here Greg to challenge both guy. Kate at her pop stardom and Greg at his slowness is Mike. <laughs> I have a little mix of both of those things. I'm very excited to, at the end of this show, uh, dig out the fucking corpses that will be my competition. Just like <laughs> the start of First Cow. Right. That's for me. Because I'm I'm going to have to help you bury those. It's just yeah, it's no, part of friendship. I'm going to be honest. I can, I think Mike deserved a point for that one. That one made me laugh hard enough. Greg. Yeah. Uh, Kate, please don't try to help no me. No comment. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we I are here to, say. to discuss First Cow. And we are going to dive hardcore into this cow. Like a reverse version of that scene where Ace Ventura came out of a hippo. Uh, or a rhino. It was a rhino. We're gonna I believe it was a rhino, Ryan. I believe it was a rhino. It was a rhino. <laughs> but you can see why he got it confused. It's not like you saw its face. Just as, oh, you don't know the difference between a hippo butthole and a rhino butthole? That's not where I was looking, sister. <laughs> this is exactly what Kelly Reichardt intended when she wanted podcasts about her movie. Uh, bef- before we dive in reverse Ace Ventura style to that hippo rhino cow butthole, uh, I do, and we're going to start with Greg. Uh, is this a good movie? This is a good movie. It, I have to say, it is a challenging movie. Um, it starts off with uh, a 10-minute shot of a boat, um, which <laughs> appears to be traveling at two miles an hour. But that kind of puts you on, on notice. But there is um, a really understated power to all the shots in this movie that even though they're slow um they don't they're not boring and the shots don't seem hyper composed but they obviously are because the second you see one you're like holy shit that's like a that's a really great shot and so you're motivated by that but it does go a little slowish at times you know that thing where like academics write in the way that they do so it'll push out the plebs and they won't even Mm -hmm. read it because they don't understand Which is a douchebag move, but I can see how you're right. In fact, 
Greg. Where uh, maybe hear how I'm right. <laughs> maybe people will turn this movie off, not in a fuck you go fuck yourself way, but like this isn't the movie for you if you can't watch a boat go. I think if you, I, I think that opening shot is yeah. Like if you make it through that shot, then it's like okay, cool, you're ready for the movie. If but honestly, if, if if you don't like that shot, you should think about like scooching on, scooching on down to another movie. <laughs> right. Maybe maybe in the same format. Uh, maybe the, you know in uh, Justice League style. A lot of lot of four three on the screen. A lot of four three, week. right? <laughs> I, it was a weird week for that. I, yeah. <laughs> Mike, is this a better four three movie than Zack Snyder's Justice it, League? It is an infinitely better four three movie, and that's all we'll be talking about is the ratio. Uh, I think this mm-hmm. is my second Kelly Reichardt film. Uh, and I've, I have seen the trailer to Wendy and Lucy a thousand times, uh, mm. but I haven't made that jump. But I think what, what Kelly does so well is take mumblecore vibes and put talent on top of it as a filmmaker. And that's impressive that she thought to do that. Yeah. And because uh, most of them didn't. And I, I think that the whole <laughs> mumblecore thing is like, well, we don't need to make great. We don't have to have great filmmaking because we're getting in depth of the characters and she's able to do both. Yeah. Right, Kate? What do you think of first half? Yes. Um, I, I hear what you say. Like it is the first ten minutes. I've always i've I've watched it a couple times, and I find it very frustrating every time. I think um, it is it is a good test if you can handle the pacing of the film. Um, but seeing like you know maybe Funke at the very top with her dog. Uh, I, my instinct was like, oh, this is an A24 film, so this is going to be an Ari Aster, this is going to be a Max Eggers, this is going to be a man who is asking me to watch long shots of boats uh, and say, you figure it out, honey. I don't need to. I, <laughs> I saw bet the you picture. can't, but I want you to try. Yeah, go ahead and try to decipher what it is I'm about to make you suffer. <laughs> uh, and very slowly but surely... Uh, the narrative took over, and it became one of the, I think, one of the sweetest movies I've ever seen. I, I really like watching it. I think yeah. it's very. Is there sweet. a movie you would rather give a hug to than, <laughs> no. than this oh movie? Oh my god, it's so. I want to squeeze it. Other than Fast and here, Furious movie. presents Hobbs and Shaw. No, Greg, I think yeah. this is the one. I'm sorry. Apparently, you guys haven't seen Lady and the Tramp Two: Scamps Adventure. <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> have not, will not. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, we have a limit on how many times Kate can say Scamp's Adventure on this episode, so we're going to get out of this intro segment and dive directly into the movie Lady in the Tramp Uh-oh. 2, Scamp's Adventure. <laughs> well, that is very, very funny or very sad, and perhaps now you have something to think about, or very problematic, and perhaps we have something to think about. But in any event, I'm sure you have some reaction to what you're listening to. So why not check us out on the social media? You can go to Instagram or Twitter and find us at Your Pop Filter. Email contacts at Your Pop Filter. Hey, everybody. Keep watching them movies. One of, if not the first movie victims of the pandemic, was Kelly Reichert's first cow. Not that any Reichert movie is ever going to be a blockbuster, but this is one of the first movies that got put in theaters only to be yanked immediately, thanks to the pandemic. Thanks, pandemic. It's also one of the big titular controversies of 2020, Outside of the emancipation of one Harley Quinn, people could not believe that someone would make a movie called First Cow. The (laughs) film tells the story of two less-than-manly manly men tangentially involved in the gold rush of the early 1800s. One a cook named Cookie, who was trying to make a living feeding the manly men of the time, all of which looked like they would storm the United States Capitol, and King (laughs) Lou, a Chinese guy who was trying to make a life for himself despite the rampant racism against Chinese people that I'm sure would no longer exist in the coming years. Absolutely never. The two become a jobs was with oily cakes 
an almost magical sweet biscuit that sends you through delicious bits of nostalgia when you eat them. But the only way they can make these oily cakes is by milking first cow, a cow brought over, a cow brought over by rich people into the new world. Taste buds, I ask you this. The primary adjective that comes to mind for this movie is tender. How did Reichert manage to convey such tenderness while maintaining the ugliness and harshness contextualizing the narrative? How does her filmmaking find sweetness in such miserable circumstances? And I do want you guys to keep in mind that we are going to get to uh, Lou and Cookie later. So mm. let's just sort of talk about the uh, the pacing and the camera. How did Kelly uh, make this tender thing out of like the least tender thing possible? Because I think tenderness is is not a quick lightning emotion. It it, mm. it does need to be like slowly fermented, Light. and so by letting us sit there and have the river waft over us. It is not a roaring river, my friends. It is like a gently babbling brook and the way the sunlight hits the leaves, it really all does feel like a, a kid's daydream. If there was a first cow version of rivers, it would be this one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Mike. But, and I think also there's, um, you see the like cookie, the way he interacts with the, environment is is tender i mean the first shots we get of him um are like this way he's he's harvesting these mushrooms which seems to be like such an act of care um almost like a, a you know a, a maternal act and it's interesting that it's mushrooms because like we've just seen his dead body and then like sort of like the mushrooms like bring us back to him as as a living creature which mushrooms interact with like dead beings mm-hmm. in that way but the way he like Greg. like it, it is so loving even to the to the earth um i don't know part of what's so effective about this movie is it makes you feel things and then it doesn't have a roadmap that shows you exactly how it did that like just like rewinding the clock just one week to promising young woman i love that movie obviously but like the shots are hyper composed and you can see how they're composed in this movie you feel the hand of a very competent director, but you can't exactly point to what it is that's making you feel mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. And that can, that's like mind blowing really, because I'm used to movies Brick. being kind of open, you know, <laughs> like, here's what I'm doing by the way. And this one doesn't do that. It just manages to do it behind the scenes. Okay. So like, yeah, she, you can't feel her hand for most of the time, but now that we've watched it, Kate, uh, what what do you think that she is specifically doing that when you look back on it now is like, oh, oh first cow? Um, I think it can be distilled into, I think, if not the binary, a binary um, in terms of relationships, um, human relationships. I think that there is intimacy and there is eroticism. Um, there is you know, the energy that is created between the charge of two different people. And there is the, you know, comfort that is generated through like knowing, truly knowing another person. And this, and intimacy takes time. I think a lot of cinema is very erotic, whether it's male gazy or if it has to do with the drama between like, the action hero's desire and, 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 you know, the literal explosion you're watching, like most of cinema in order to create a kind of a compelling narrative requires kind of an erotic tone and everything about this movie is intimate. Um, and so it's slow and it's kind and it lets you get to know the people involved in a way that feels very real. Uh, that doesn't feel like, Oh, spark. It feels like, 
oh, this is how you build friendship. This is how you show kindness. And that's something that's temporal, I think, inherently. Part of it is as simple as like long, continuous shots. If you watch somebody, if you watch an actor blocking for a long time, if you watch them creating action for a really long time, it is intimate because you look, you are looking at them unfiltered, unbroken for a really long time. And if you have actors who are comfortable in that environment, that that builds up a, a tremendous amount of intimacy. Just that act. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've noticed that right. like uh, people who watched this movie and didn't get on its page are like, oh, she wanted to make something that everyone loved, so she made it slow and boring because like <laughs> that that's what like Kubrick or Malick would do, and uh, it sucks, and I don't like watching it. But if you do get on its page, you do sort of start to realize like what Kate said, and uh, that. The, the feelings that we have towards this movie would be impossible if it didn't take that amount of time, you know? Yeah, I, I think the, the best advice given, and really we should treat like every movie like this, though I don't know if Hobbs and Shaw would have the same responses. Before I watched it, Ryan told me to put my phone in another room yeah. and just <laughs> let what happens happens. And then, because yeah, if there's distractions, you're never going to get on its page. And you might think that like... Uh, I, I want to give you a point, Mike, for bringing up advice that mm-hmm. I gave you. Uh, uh, yeah, like you're, when you're watching the movie, you might think like, well, I know an app that is going to allow me to still pay attention to the movie, so this will be fine. Like, no, like you really have to sit in that slow-ass first cow river. If your mood but is I... like, I want the plot of this film, don't watch this movie. Get in a different, like you need to let, fuck plot, right? Yeah, it's this is a movie about tone, mm-hmm. which I mean, which relationships are. You know, like legitimately, like, you know, um, that is something that that transcends cinema. And I think that when we talk about time, which, you know, to be a film nerd, like is the conversation around movies is how space and time interact with each other and how that's like the most human thing that we can imagine. Um, Like when this movie started, it was very slow and it's an A24 film. So it's like. Ari Aster and Max Eggers and like who are you film boy to make me sit and watch and I think The Lighthouse is a very interesting parallel in terms of like that's a that's a movie that's agonizingly slow quite often that takes its time but that's a movie about eroticism that's a movie about difference and the energy and like kineticism that comes from tension versus the slow realization of love which is so much less exciting in reality you know it's Sometimes it's the tender. lighthouse is first cow slow, and sometimes it is uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League fast. And <laughs> lighthouse is a fucking crazy movie. The crazy thing lighthouse. about it though is it's it's less exciting from the outside, and we that's what we always get right the exterior mm-hmm. version in movies. And the inside, it's like the most electric, mm-hmm. like amazing thing, and it always has been, even in a, a time before Doritos and 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 the Max Snyder's <laughs> of the world, right where. It was still the most vivid experience in a world where experience wasn't quite as vivid as maybe. Max Snyder, the Doritos of directors. The Dorito King. Uh, <laughs> but most, Mezzer Dorito. Most critics will defend the pacing, right? Because yeah. uh, it, 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 it is lovely. And then also you don't want to sound like an idiot. Yeah, what if you sound yeah. dumb? Oh, yeah. my yeah. God. You never want to sound <laughs> dumb. Critics' biggest seriously, fear. No, as a, as a person who watches movies frequently specifically to talk about them, I have earned the right to say movies should not be longer than 90 minutes. Yeah. I had to sit down and watch Dances with Wolves two nights ago for fucking hours. I'll tell you now, Kevin Costner didn't earn it. 
How, really how long like was Kevin Costner's initial scream in Dances with Wolves? Did his that scream go on for scene, 10 minutes? His initial scene is literally him riding one, not once, but twice uh, in front of like a line of fire and surviving godlike. It is so indulgent and rude. And then within t- and then at the 10 minute mark, we begin a very bland narration. So this is a movie completely lacking self-awareness of its protagonist, which I would yeah. say First Cow is very different. I think Dances with Wolves is, uh, I still think it's an okay movie, but I like that I word, especially in this, the week that we're recording this is when Zack Snyder's Justice League came out. And I, I, you, there's no way, even if you can't stand the pace of this movie, there's no way that you can call it indulgent. You can't be like, no. well, Riker's just like fucking jerking off all over us. No. I, her co-writer for this uh, is somebody that she's worked with a lot before. Mm-hmm. And it's also based on their uh, story that they wrote. And, I bring that up. I I don't know if the uh the the bookend of this movie is in the book, but uh, typically when there's like a there's a framing device like in this movie, it's because it was in the book. Mm-hmm. That's something that critics have. Some critics have jumped on and said, "What the fuck? Maybe I, Fionke, get the fuck out of here." Here, yeah. I I've been thinking about this a lot because like why there has to be a reason, and and somebody as thoughtful and methodical as Reichart, there needs to be a reason. What what that opening does of. Uh, Alia Shawcott and Finding the Corpses is this is a slow, tender movie but with that, now we have a time bomb and this kind of movie normally doesn't have, I think it's genius to put a time bomb in this movie because even when they're having sweet moments and he's whispering sweet nothings into the cow's ears, you're like but I know how it ends, which means they're in the least tense movie ever made, there somehow is this slowly ratcheting up tension because I know they become corpses Well, I don't think it's the least tense, like there's multiple times where they have to sleep in the woods overnight. And it's a pretty tenty movie. They do camp. But uh, the whole ending is like an action-filled scene. Yeah. Uh, and then us knowing. But I do think... I, I would say that the average viewer, which is what I'm saying I am. So I'm just assuming that everybody else... that You do sort of forget about that that first framing device when you're watching it. And then when they die together, you're like, oh, yeah. And I do think it's very useful though, because I it you know, I think part of what the movie is about is that, you know, the the places that we walk, like the earth ha- is full of this like experience and that we are on it for like such a mm-hmm. short time, but that it is kind of timeless. Like the you see the earth from and the and the, the river and the trees mm-hmm. from modern times and they don't look any different than uh right. the back in the day stuff, you know. Right. And yet like our petty dramas have like risen and fallen in in that time and so it's like you know it it is it's the ultimate contextual contextualizing device which is there was no world in which these men were so successful in their relationship with each other that like they were alive 200 (laughs) years later right Mm -hmm. so like it's all kind of like you know sound and fury signifying nothing but like when you see their moments like you do see the beauty and that's what the, the movie says like stop and and appreciate the experience and the beauty that exists right now and the the beginning of the movie sort of like serves as like a, a memento mori like you know time Word. is fleeting i agree well, this is going to think- like uh go right into our next segment but uh i as like as like a lack of a strong hand a forceful hand that Riker always has of like she always wants you to experience and doesn't want to force how you think and feel about the movies I think having that framing device there is sort of like, eh, I mean, we're still in the same country. Like, you know, like these people were around and like we have evidence here. Also, uh, I think I noticed something watching this time, you know, Cookie wears 
like he gets away with wearing this shade of really faded like suede that to me reads as like pink and so in a way he almost gets away with wearing pink everywhere he goes because honestly if they noticed they would have said something like his fancy fucking boots and or murdered him uh the like alia shawkat her character is wearing the same sort of like pink neckerchief or when when she finds him and so they're they're linked, you know, and, oh, yeah, and I started she's harvesting mushrooms well, as well. I think, well, yeah. I, well, I think, I think, like the the first thing that this that this film offers is a William Blake quote: uh, "The bird a nest, the spider a web, man friendship." So this Which, is a story the first time of, I watched it. It was just something that I ignored. You know, I was yeah, like, no, "Oh, all right, it, it let's get to the movie." To, it speaks to one the romanticism and like tenderness inherent to like literature of the turn of the 19th century, which is just worth talking about. It's one about nature. It's one about relationships. It's, it's a movement that is about, again, like intimacy. And, um, and I think that that quote reminds you that like, yes, people die like ashes to ashes, dust to dust. But at the end of the day, the stories of all of our lives since the beginning of humanity has been one of friendship of the search of it. Um, and the meaning of it. And the movie does tell us that they were friends, but were they? I'm not sure, because they never did (laughs) together in Oscar draft. When we come back, let's see what happened with that. Hola, Filterinos. I just wanted to interrupt real briefly and say thank you for listening. Thank you for your support. If you want to support us a little more directly, you can go to patreon.com slash yourpopfilter. There, depending on what tier you pick, $1 a month, $5 a month. If you're crazy, anything more than $5 a month, don't do that. You can get extra content. There's extra shows, extra series, uh, behind-the-scenes stuff. Uh, You could pay for Ryan to draw you a picture. Uh, I can write you a poem. You can get the shirts off our very own backs. All of that and so much more over at patreon.com slash yourpopfilter. While you're on the internet, you should check out Shady Monk. He does all the tunes you've been listening to. He's on Bandcamp, he's on Spotify, uh, SoundCloud, wherever kids get their music these days that I'm too old to know. Shady Monk lives there. Uh, You can probably follow him on Twitter and Instagram as well. That's Shady Monk. Wherever you get music, check him out. Every year, we here at Pop Filter Studios, I like to do a show where we try to guess which movies will get the most Oscar nominations. We do it draft style, which is only weird because it's not a bracket. <laughs> Typically, everything we do is a bracket, but the other part of everything we do is a draft. Um, it was Kate versus Mike versus me versus Greg. Uh, before we start, do we have any predictions? If you did not run the numbers yet, do yeah. we have any predictions? Uh, I'd guess Ryan is first. I think yeah, I would say I'd guess myself third. Ryan is first. I think I I think I came in last. Yeah, I think, I think I Mike second. I'm third. Yeah. I would say I. I don't remember what okay. I picked. Yeah, that's the other thing. I don't quite remember what I picked. I remember I saw Mank got a bunch, yeah. and I was like, "Oh, good. Wait, is it?" It's worth it's worth saying that the only person who took a screenshot of the results and texted it to the <laughs> other group, uh, to the group, was Ryan. So I think Ryan's that kind of. Winner. Uh, <laughs> I thought I thought I thought those were private texts. Uh, <laughs> so what I sent was that I drafted Mulan, and I got uh, you guys made yeah, fun of me yeah. a lot, and it got it got two nominations. Uh, let's start with sure. Greg. Why not? Uh, <laughs> Greg drafted First Cow, The Assistant, and Never, Rarely, Sometimes, Always. Uh, three absolutely incredible movies by three 
female filmmakers. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's going for that woke award. Honestly, I've been thinking about it. I love female uh, filmmakers. I, I, that's... You're very brave to say no. it. <laughs> Greg, it's because you're such a beautiful kind Remember soul. how jazzed like I got Lane about Fontino. Farewell? <laughs> he also drafted Pretty Young Woman, which... That and that's directed by a female, but uh, that movie did what the a other female? three didn't, which is, which is get nominations. So Greg had three oh goose gosh, eggs on his team. That's the worst I've ever done. Pretty young woman got five nominees, and that's uh, the, the other one with liking women. Greg, <laughs> <laughs> it's fundamentally an uphill battle. <laughs> his his other choice uh, was directed by a man, but it's soul, which is something that Greg has, and it's pretty. Hmm. So. That yeah, it's eight nominees oh, for Greg. Gosh. Eight nominations. I think that's the worst anybody's ever done. <laughs> Yikes! Well, what can I say, everybody? Except for maybe you shouldn't listen to my opinions on this show. <laughs> <laughs> Only if you care about awards. I'll defend Greg to my friend Greg. Greg, head. Greg. <laughs> the story Greg of these. Greg loves uh, not... every time someone says Greg. I do love it. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime anybody does any of my bits back to me, I'm like, ah, that's yeah. <laughs> Greg. (laughs) (laughs) The story of these nominations was how many sixes did you get? Mm. Because uh, Mank, which I took with the third overall pick, which means Kate and Mike could have taken Mank and didn't, uh, got 10. But there was a ton of sixes. So how many of those sixes did you get? Mike, you got Nomadland, Minari, and Judas and the Black Messiah, each getting six. (laughs) Yeah, man. Also, those are good-ass movies. Good sound and uh, good foley. Also, Mike, uh, like a uh, very diverse group. This is like this is clearly the Oscars showing. Hey, it doesn't just have to be white people all the time. Uh, Nomadland has an Asian director, Benari, uh, Asian all around, and Jews the Black Messiah. Uh, Jews the Black Messiah. <laughs> the five bloods, however, Mike was what you kept tried to keep your streak going. Yeah. One nomination for score. That that is uh don't remember the score that much. It's uh I forgot because I was like, well, Spike Lee, that's a clink clincher, forgetting that the Oscars famously don't like what Spike Lee has to say. <laughs> well, I thought after Black Klansman that he was yeah, just in now. Like, yeah, he could exactly. be, like on that Meryl Streep level, you know? Uh, no director, no picture, and no Delroy Lindo. That's, that's insane. I thought they were gonna like see what happened with the Golden Globes and be like, okay, we're not gonna make the same mistake. You know something that I think film critics haven't said yet about the Oscar noms that is worth it? That fundamentally it's rude. It's rude how they yeah. did it. I don't like... <laughs> I think it was rude. I think that there were people who deserved it and uh, and passed anything else. Um, fundamentally, socially inept. And it's so weird the way we all agree that they're totally wrong always in both nomination and winners. <laughs> and yet we all still... And yet yeah, still give a shit. Every single year we're like, they're like, <laughs> why do we... Ca-? Obviously, yeah, they fuck it up. They always fuck it up. But So then why do we keep coming back as dummies and being like, they hurt my feelings again? I'm sorry, you have just... you ever met a popular kid? <laughs> no. I'm sorry, have you hung out with I Ryan? I scurry away <laughs> from popular kids. I mean, the reason that we care is because we now have the number one system That's of awarding true. films, and so we have to we have to pay attention to our competition. But <laughs> we know that they're they're listening. very bad at their jobs. True. Mike, you also had a goose egg. It was Palm Springs. Yeah, I, prayer sh- prayer shot at the end. I was thinking it's a da- or screenplay, but fuck them. You had nineteen nominations because you got three of those Damn, sixes Greg. and then to five. How's that? Just yeah, that is that's that's more than a double, Greg. But. 
to 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 be in a shot for winning, you need like high yeah. thirty. So I'm fucked. I uh, Kate, you had two sixes. You had uh, the Trial of Chicago Seven and Sound of Metal. I would say that like I think Predictor said like Sound of Metal was what three or maybe four. Yeah. Six is crazy. Nah, Again, back to our podcast. It's us pimping Paul Racy, which is why yeah, it got dude. so many nominations. Mm-hmm. 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 Uh, one of the forgotten movies by most people, but not by UK, it was News of the World, who got four nominations. Yeah. And then Tenet got two. Okay. Soundies. And then Ammonite got zero. Okay. That's fair. So you. you it turns 18. out uh, it isn't like eating a sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> she was right. <laughs> And I think that's what all the voters wrote at the bottom of their. <laughs> what ballots. if during the Oscars yeah, they the cut end. to Kate Winslet and she's eating a sandwich? <laughs> and and like, she's yeah, just like her tongue <laughs> is like deep inside that sandwich. That's <laughs> <laughs> how I eat my sandwiches. Trying to suck the mustard out. <laughs> and then just throw away the bread, like it's the cookie part of Oreos. Uh, so Kate, <laughs> you got eighteen. Shut it down. Yeah. I, should I have let that sentence No, she finish? very nah, efficiently. <laughs> she just changed For sure not. <laughs> uh, one less than Mike. Okay. No! Mike, I knew I, mean, I was going to place, yeah. That was a prediction. Know, but I was, hoping, I was hoping I was being brutal towards myself. Yeah. <laughs> I think that all of my movies got fewer nominations than I thought they were. Oh, I thought, like, only, <laughs> only 10 yeah, for Mank. I thought that was, like, 14 or 15. Uh, Ma Rainey getting five is fine. Ma Rainey and One Night in Miami on my team got five and three, but no best picture. Mm. Is Told it, is it because rated. that they are filmed plays, or is there some other reason that Ma Rainey and One Night in Miami were not nominated? The father got six. Yeah, that was my six. Much. Again, rude. And then pulling it out for me right at the end was Mulan with two. Mulan. More, more like it. <laughs> Nailed it. Thanks. Again. More I, like Mulan. <laughs> Remember Wigers? I didn't hit 30s. I, I, I got 26, just a scant seven more than Mike in second place. Oh, that. So Ryan. you won, Ryan, but does it Ryan. hurt that this is the smallest win you've ever had? <laughs> Ryan. Greg. Yeah, Kate. it clearly Greg hurts that, for that much. It hurts enough to do an extra two. <laughs> Greg gets points. Greg. Just thanks for not talking I, shit, Greg. Do you want to go ahead and talk I, shit? I feel like. This is like the. This is how it goes every year. You've earned it. You always win. It's uh, classic Greg relying on yeah. his likability. <laughs> Just show that belly, Greg. <laughs> what can I but say? No, the I guy also, that got it, eight. It's obviously. <laughs> I, I, it is so weird. I am the, the weirdest mix of not competitive yeah. and not good at He's anything. The first belly and then up. Yet, and then yet it hurts my feelings when I don't perform well. Well, of course you don't perform well. You're not competitive and you suck at shit. Like, when you're that soft, you're legit. Legitimately a grub. <laughs> <laughs> there ain't no underside, honey. Every side is an underside. <laughs> I do agree with Greg, though, because essentially what he is saying is that uh, instead of paying attention to this shit all year, I uh, watch sports and think about my family and my relationship <laughs> with my wife. And that's why I win is because I don't do any of that stuff. So good for me. When we come back, more first cow. No more Oscars. First Cow got zero nominations, so fuck the Oscars. Let's get back to First Cow. Is there an argument to be made that First Cow isn't just the story of two guys, a cow in an oily cake place, but can also be looked at as the story of America itself? What and how is Reichert trying to tell us about our past and our present? I mean, yes, because it plays with capitalism. It plays with like the 
lore, the allure and lie of the new frontier and how it's different. But then like. King is like, no, you're pretending like these beavers will last forever. I'm telling you, before you guys showed up, there were even more. You're going to ruin this place like you've ruined every other part of this country. But at the same time, isn't King Lou, uh, as far as our two main characters go, the one who is most enticed in? Yeah, but I, yeah, I mean, he... but that's I think that's very American is to be able to point out what's wrong with it while fully participating and hungering after. Damn, well, that's I mean I think that there's a difference between his like idea of being an entrepreneur, uh, entrepreneur and like ha- having some capitalist dream versus the like extreme everything is mine of. What is it? Chief Factor? Great it's name. The Chief Factor. Yeah. Uh, Little Toby. <laughs> Chief Factor. Uh, so, uh, but I think that it's like he he does. He has that. The if there's a beautiful part of the American spirit that says, "I will build my. I'll have my own claim. I'll have something that's mine." Sort of the of mice and men. You know, my our own little plot of land with the rabbits. I think there is something beautiful about that, and he exemplifies that. And but there is also right. the more odious, terrible form of of capitalism but i think it does try to like embrace all of america by sort of bringing that under the umbrella as well isn't isn't it all in king lou because he's also he has that beautiful dream and let's get a hotel and he he, he's the planning and he's ambitious but then he's also like but let's steal from that guy to get it right because why not king lou king lou is the he's the outsider who understands the system better than any of them Mm -hmm. who understands what it is um that it's fundamentally (laughs) exploitation that's that's happening out there. That it always starts the, with a crime. Which is the capitalist dream. There are the yeah. men who are willing to risk everything, who push the boundaries and work hard, and there are the men who come in with capital, which King Lou says at a certain point. He's like, how do you get rich without being rich? Mm-hmm. And in fact, the cow itself is like a cow of pedigree. <laughs> the cow has yeah. been from, you know, like is from Brittany and stuff. Yeah. And so it's a And it's fucking like, beautiful. And it's beautiful. She's a beautiful It's a hot-ass cow. cow. We just get the cow. prettiest eyes. Oh, my God. No, some cows have such pretty eyes. It's yeah. true. It's true. Um, uh, and, um, no, and the rich Englishman who's ashamed of the thing that he claims to purport. You know, like, it's <laughs> such a... The people who are striving and the people who have are completely separated from each other. And the people who have... They believe less in the dream and benefit it from it more. Mm-hmm. And it's I also a think there's situation. like there's a thing going on too where uh, it's a little bit of assimilation where you know uh, uh, Cookie is already white and although he uh, like fears for his life at his job, like if he doesn't feed these hooligans, then they they straight up saying like, oh, I'll just eat your fucking finger. Um, but King Lou is always going to be Chinese. And part of the assimilation is, uh, okay, so if I can't change my face or my name to be American, then what I'll do is I'll change. I'm I'm just going to pick up the most American way of living, you know? And you can see that, that struggle in King Lou, um, during the, is it major factors that we're saying when his, his visit chief factor, chief factor. (laughs) Interesting. Um, so chief factor when King Lou speaks up, um, with yeah. sincere intelligence, oh, yeah. with understanding of what's going on, and with confidence, it is inherently affronting to him, and oh. that is what sparks his his distrust <laughs> of that com- of those two immediately. Right. 
This is some Reichert motherfucking shit. Instead of having the narrator go, and that's when I knew they didn't like me because I was Chinese. He he speaks up and says something like very smart. Uh, he's a good business guy. Like he's got good ideas, and it cuts back to um, what's his name, Mike Toby, Keith? Toby Tobes. Toby Tobes, Toby Toberson, and then like the general who's staying with them. And they're like, they have to like put a handkerchief to their mouth. They're so affronted by his voice coming out in his house. And for a second, you're like, oh, is it because they're lesser? But then they respond to Cookie immediately. And you go, nope, this is for racism. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's important to remember that Oregon is a place with a, a terrible racial past. And this movie doesn't do a lot with it. In fact, there's a it just there's only one black character that I can remember, and it's just someone shot in passing. But mm-hmm. Oregon was like a, a, a very uh, early on. It was like supposed to be like sort of like a white paradise, uh, mm-hmm. free from other races. So that's not like talked about a ton in the movie, but you f- you can feel it <laughs> uh, in, in the way that non-white characters are treated and the other fact that there's like so few of them. Well, I don't even I don't think there are so few of them. I think that's one of the most notable things about this film is in something that is towing with the Western genre, having so many characters of color of Mm -hmm. all sorts and forms. Um, They're never the other than King Lou, the front and center of the narrative. They're never the concern of the community, but they're there. And I think that that is a statement about America as much as anything <laughs> else is. Yeah, it's interesting. That, and yeah, like if, if you have oil, oily cakes to offer me, then I will say, oh, cool. Thank you. Here's my money. But any other way, like I'm going to make sure that you are othered, you know, like I'm yeah, going right. to make sure and that the only way you gross. can give me oily cakes is if you steal from a system of power that exists. Right. And will then punish you. It's interesting because in 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 Toby's house, there's Toby and the lieutenant, and then there's also uh, Tadalikum, uh, mm-hmm. Asta's dad from Resident Alien, so superhero show show movie of the year crossover, <laughs> plays uh, uh, Native American chief, and so there's respect for him being there. But then he also like he walk like walks purposely walks behind like he's somebody who seems to he doesn't get a lot of screen time but seems to know all social cues and how it works and is trying to like weave and dodge to keep enough of his power as he can because he seems to get know that he, he'll be quote unquote allowed to have it by these whiteies if he doesn't like buck too hard yeah there's always somebody that's gonna cozy up and learn what it takes to try to just get by mm-hmm. right so uh, okay, so it's not just the rich people; it's also the uh, the hoolies that we talked about in the beginning. Um, let's compare. One of my favorite scenes in the movie is uh, Cookie is out searching way too late at night. Man, he should be asleep. His, his dedication to his job and keeping his fingers from being eaten means that he runs into King Lou. And in a movie like this, directed by somebody other than Kelly Riker, he kills King Lou. And instead, they stand there and they have a conversation and he listens and he brings him back and he hides him. And uh, Cookie knows that he's out of food. He knows the whole group's out of food and then sees King Lou. This scene right here is as much uh, commentary on capitalism as, you know, Mm -hmm. going to steal milk and stuff. You know, like what what is Kelly doing with this scene right here? Well, I think, you know, he he sees the outsider status in somebody else. You know, like he, uh, Cookie cannot hide even though he is white and that should give him some level of ability to hide it's really hard the way especially men police male behavior when you stick out in any way it's like found out very quickly and then constantly brought up so like 
Cookie can't really blend in with with people. Um, he's not going to be able to escape that. And so when he sees somebody else who cannot blend in, I think that it's right away. You know, he make obviously makes that connection. To I mean, him. is that not to be not to be too work. socialist about it? But there's also just like the underlying truth, in my opinion. I'll risk it. I'll go on the line. Uh, that kind of the antidote to the brutality of capitalism is empathy. Boo and burner. I know. She's and, bringing and, love. Get her. <laughs> <laughs> and and that's what it shows is that like under capitalism is a brutal system that requires you sacrificing your humanity in some way and seeing an other and identifying with him enough to give like is as anti-capitalist as a story right. as I can think. That There's hurts. a scene where we see uh, the, uh, the group of the hooligans are walking in the very beginning, and uh, one of them has decided to have a little bit of joy, which is so unmanly. He's going to play his uh, little dong 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 oh, oh, I loved that. Yeah. And he, he does it for about 15 seconds before somebody far manlier comes up and just <laughs> punches him, because what are you doing in right now? All fairness to the guy who punches him. That is the most annoying instrument annoying in the world. Instrument. It's atonal. Imagine, yeah, there's something to be said about the fact that they are starving, they are miserable, they have been fur trapping. These and that's the instrument fair. that you pulled out. And that's the instrument. You pulled out the most, quote, interesting, and by that I mean grating and insufferable instrument. At the same time, it is art. <laughs> so I do see the point you're making, Ryan. Even more than alto sax, isn't that, wouldn't that have been the worst instrument? <laughs> Well, God, it, it's such a terrible good sound. smooth I, jazz I jab. think a, 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 a mouth harp jab, if you will only really sounds good to the person playing it oh, so yeah. it's, it's like, like the most rude instrument and there were like almost no instruments in the wild west hence there will be no instruments at the wild west so like it's this or the guy <laughs> who is I think torturing a fiddle I think that like, he's got back in camp there's a guy who's got a violin that obviously did something to him <laughs> and he is absolutely trying to get some information out of it or something and just sawing on that bad boy so hard. <laughs> there are no... Ni- I mean, there's so few nice things in, mm. in this world. And the only guy who has the ability to get them, really, Chief Factor, only wants them so that he can deny them to other people. Right. Like, it reminds Work. me of this, uh, these like Capitalism. weird non-fungible tokens. Like, the only thing that mm-hmm. confers value on something to people is the idea that you can have it and nobody else can. And that's oh, why yeah. he really wants milk. He wants to be able to say to everybody else, you don't have anything nice and I have milk in my yeah. fucking tea. I've been writing an article about that because I work for Christie's, the art house. And so they're trying to figure out how to monetize images that are digital exclusively and how to establish luxury branding. Brought when crypto to you? Everything, well, everything about the internet is, you know, like cryptocurrency and its relationship to high art right now is a conversation that is being had. Uh, um, that's a separate thing from this, but it, it, it's a seriously interesting thing that really reminds you that what is known as pleasure and luxury, what is turkey red versus canary yellow, like is so fucking mm. arbitrary by those in power who say this is a value enough for me to not give it to you. I, I'm not, I, I'm not totally was... sure what Kate's saying, but Mike made that like the poet's moan while she was po- po- poeticizing. snapping. I'm going to give Kate the point. Uh, guys, we have, to, we have to take a break, but when Double we come dance. back, the five. That's right, folks. It's time for the five. 
2020, where are our archetypes? We're going to figure that shit out right now. The three of you fools are going to tell me... Uh, I'm going to give you guys archetypes and you guys are going to throw out who is the 2020 version of that person. To, I, I think to make us feel better about 2020. What if it... Mm. What if it gave us no archetypes? Like that would be terrible, right? That would be that awful. Would be yeah, all original. Boo! This one part of life remained the same. We still got our archetypes. Who's our Darth <laughs> Vader of 2020? Well, we will Who? find the skeletons in the ground, as Aaliyah shock it as we are, and and we'll remember that there is still a Marilyn Monroe among us. <laughs> Don't you guys think that as much as you are you, you're also a little bit Aaliyah shock it? Me? Oh yeah, sure. Or I have all, this, of like, all of us. Very yeah, similar us. hair. We kind of have yeah. the same freckles. There's, there's a roundness of our face. Greg, it's similar. like a halo right now. The side part's really doing you justice. <laughs> Boy, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> Look at me yeah he's yes. pushing up his curls like he's in the 30s. <laughs> <laughs> Before you give me your Marilyn Monroe, what what do you need to have to be a, like a 2020 Marilyn Monroe? I think uh, you have to be kind of like a sex baby. Um, and there has to be an intelligence behind that sex babiness that, that we is, ignore as hard as we can. Yeah. <laughs> and then to help you, the person, ignore that and maybe feel more like the sex baby you're supposed to be, you have some sort of drug dependency mm-hmm. that sort of like helps you attenuate just your natural brightness. Shit, dude. Are you going to say me? Uh, no, <laughs> not for this one, Ryan. No, I promise you anyone who is either performing or listening to this podcast can relate. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Greg, who is the 2020 Marilyn Monroe? It's still Britney, bitch. Um, <laughs> in Wait, 2020... we're to not be movies? Okay, that's good to know. <laughs> I hope so, because <laughs> many of many because of my... Britney, bitch. Um... Basically, you know, we we talked about this a lot on the show, but like her dad's a uh, prisoner. So like basically like if Marilyn Monroe had had made it to the age that Britney Spears is, she would have been in some weird situation like this where like some man is basically appointed by the state to like own her mm-hmm. and she's like, "Man, sure would love some freedom." And the state's like, "Oh, I don't know, honey." Mm. Well, and even if he wasn't her father, she'd call him daddy. Yeah, exactly. And then there seems to be like, you know, like there, there's some some other layer of something going on there where it seems like she hasn't, you know, she's not fully present all the time. And it, there's just like a lot of pain and, you, you know, perhaps the specter of some sort of substance hanging out there. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, but to me, it's de- it's definitely still all these years later, Britney Spears, because I think she was like our 2001 Marilyn Monroe. Well, we yeah. have them a lot. We have them a lot. <laughs> We keep, well, we keep going uh, through well, beautiful them. things, beautiful things that we say we love, but that we destroy. We're all yeah. bunnies. Those are, they're all bunnies. They're all bunnies. The correct answer to any question I ever ask is about Britney Spears. But Mike and Kate, yeah. why don't you play as well? Mike, you're up next. Uh, yeah, when I think of Marilyn, I think of uh, somebody whose looks make the audience forget that she knows the system she's in and has to play it. And this is definitely the, the role specifically this year. Uh, Amanda Seyfried was in. I think her role in Mank mm-hmm. really staked right. her claim as the 2020 Marilyn Monroe. Because think about all of Marilyn's characters; they're often like dumb, but then she talks a little more, and she it's either they are not dumb and they're playing everybody around them, or they are the idiot savant who is supposed to be dumb in the movie but sees the truth of the heart of the matter. Yeah. Actually, it is the it is the sexiest thing about her is. The, her like final monologue in Gentlemen Prefer Blondes is like, mm-hmm. no, you don't 
you don't marry a woman because she's beautiful, but it certainly helps, right? That's what it's like to marry a rich man, sir. Like that <laughs> yeah. is that is exactly like her that is her strength. That is her strength is her ability to be self-aware uh and also deeply vulnerable. Yeah, and I and Amanda Seyfried does that. Thanks Kate for backing me up. Got you, man. I always Kate, what you got? I mean, in a similar way, like that is how I feel. I think that that is the crux of asking what is a Marilyn Monroe? It's someone who understands what is expected of their quote archetype, whether it's in a movie or within the story itself, um, and an underlying fragility that betrays a very real humanity, also bleach blonde. And for that reason, Rizachman, bleach blonde hair. I uh, I think he's a perfect Marilyn Monroe this year. Not just a not just a wonderful body and a pretty pretty face, but also not just a lot a of depth body, there. But also a lot of depth. Also <laughs> a person trapped in many ways in his body. Think about it. <laughs> I thought Kate that because of the year that we're doing that uh, you were going to do the star of Promising Young Woman. Paris nope. Hilton. But, I have a uh, lot to say. I no, well, also my <laughs> answers are rooted. I I thought we had to do actors within the within the twenty twenty. But I I'm I'm coming up. I'm improvising with some other answers depending on uh on how it go. So let's that's go good. On. Watch a master improviser at her craft. Oh, yeah, baby. <laughs> 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 well, uh, you guys should probably do that because uh, this is Greg Work. all day. <laughs> oh. Britney Spears continues to be the Marilyn Monroe. Kate, let me and ask she you. She is this. an actress, by the way. It's called Crossroads. Okay, look it up. <laughs> look it's it incredible. Up. Shonda Rhimes' first screenplay. Look, look it up. up. Wow. I somewhere. did not know that. Zoe Saldana, uh, Pentuxi, or whatever it is from Pennsylvania. Kate, yep. Explain the James Dean archetype to me, and who was the 2020 James Dean? Well, James Dean is a rebel without a cause. He is. He's the, an East of Eden. Yeah, he's he's far east of Eden, and in that way, the lost child, right, of the Cain and Abel story. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've read the Bible, uh, and um, and the I, good so parts. I think <laughs> all the the highlights, yeah. baby. Yeah. Numbers in Deuteronomy, all right. No, yeah. I'm not about. It. I'm not about. It. I'm here for the narrative, uh, and uh, lots of great. I mean, genuinely life-changing narrative within that specific text. But what I will say is that... <laughs> Check it out, the Bible, you guys. <laughs> yeah, dude, I don't know if you've checked it out, but it's got something uh, to say. Kate, uh, our recommendation segment is a little bit later in the show. <laughs> um, I Get think good with the Lord. Uh, James Dean is one little Francis McDormand uh, in, in Nomadland. <laughs> She's crazy. I think. She's a wild person. She's a wild Not person. Francis, you. I'm saying you. Your picks are nuts. No way out. My picks going. are nuts. But that's going. Mike, are you going to pick Kate as the James Dean <laughs> <Yeah>. of 2020? <laughs> this thing's going to get so meta and out of control. <laughs> Greg picked the concept of togetherness. <laughs> <laughs> no, please. I need to hear how Francis McDormand is our James Dean. No, I don't know. I, I think that I think there is um, a searching quality to both of them that is quite haunting. And I think there is... Um, the representation of an entire generation within their performances. Um, and I think that there is incredible sympathy for pain that is depicted through the stories they constantly choose to tell. So how about that, Mike? That's not, yeah. that's not bad, Mike. Seems like some good reasons, Mike. <laughs> Asked and answered. And, and Mike, then you say something like, well, at least Frances McDormand kept her vehicle on the road at all yeah, times. Oh. At least she was good at driving. Surprising, a lady? 
<laughs> Mike, who's the James Dean of 2020? When I think of James Dean, I think of uh, attractiveness, danger, uh, a lot of soul. Does a lot, a lot with a little. Uh, okay, hold looks on. Let me get ready for this. Great in a wife beater. <laughs> And uh, has already been mentioned on tonight's episode of The Five. It is one Riz Ahmed. Yeah, baby. I think James Dean, uh, if they made like mature, thoughtful movies when he was alive, would have been in the Sound of Metal type movie. I I, I think that a lot of Riz Ahmed's performance in Sound of Metal is like, what? I don't know, man. Shut up. (laughs) I think that's a good. That's just because he couldn't hear. Beautiful boy. It's the sensitive, beautiful boy. Yeah. Greg James Dean. Uh, I, you know, I think Kate hinted at it a little bit, which is that there is, um, a, a gender fluidity to Mm -hmm. James Dean, even though he's, he's like a beautiful boy, right? Mm -hmm. So kind of has, walks in between those worlds, which is why I think it works for Francis McDormand and also works for our current beautiful boy. Harry Styles. Uh, <gasps> Harry Styles has been popularizing so that sort of like Greg, in a way that James Dean. Your use of external references from cinema is <laughs> blowing my mind. You're so good at it. The way you did not follow the same set of rules that everybody <laughs> Damn, else is dead. This are... is like when Nirvana did Unplugged, <laughs> and then they just had electric, <laughs> yeah, electric yeah, instruments, yeah. and people were like, "We could use amps." Only Nirvana would think to go out there and just be like Unplugged. No. This part's plugged. <laughs> I'm sorry. Have you heard of the punk movement? <laughs> Greg hits up. But <laughs> Harry Styles, you know, uh, he's so, like, I think they're they're good looking in the same way. And I, mm-hmm. I think Harry Styles is just an evolution of this kind of like gender non-conforming um, character that's existed for really a long time, which is mm-hmm. the boy that's like beloved by all the girls. So you would think that would make him hyper masculine, but he's kind of safe. And that safety in part is that he has a feminine yeah. energy. That, it's like, the, it's the crush that. of an of an early of a young woman. Yeah. That's something I noticed in my own in my own crushes was that um I liked him real girly when I was scared of men. Uh and then the meaner they got. <laughs> the older you are, the meaner they get. The only the older you are, the meaner they get. Yeah. It's much the same with, with boys and girls, I think, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like you know, older you get. You're more like, yeah, oh, we what? just get mean in the end. <laughs> and you <laughs> and develop seek it a in taste. others, you know. Like, <laughs> yeah. I just want like someone to just tell me I'm an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> All great answers, but uh yeah, Mike. I'm gonna go with Riz Ahmed. I think that uh, he's got the same sort of like uh, not limited range, but doing a lot with a little. It's shocking how arbitrary Ryan's choices are. It's infuriating. It's not arbitrary. He's choosing Mike. the obvious way. Every thanks, time. Mike. Mike, here you go. Mike. Uh, Catherine Hepburn. Mike, what the fuck is that archetype? Catherine Hepburn is is brassy, takes control. Bucks the system. Uh, if we're talking about gender fluidity, you know, she she, she wore pants. She wore pants. Slacks, like, you guys. Uh, oh, she pants. did it well. C- couldn't really well. tell, but redhead and, and, and her hair was a bit curly. I and think. Bryn Mawr. You, she Bryn, went to Bryn, Bryn Mawr. Mawr. You know Just like those my pants, nana. Those pants had fucking pockets. Hell oh, she, shit. This chick was carrying her keys her. Yeah, she had her keys, baby. Oh, yeah. That iPhone tucked comfy. Boom, right tucked in there. comfy. When she went home from Bermuda to like visit family, were they like, "Why are you talking like that?" And she's like, "What are you talking about?" <laughs> what am I talking? Yeah, unique way of talking. And uh, so, this person I think will will definitely become our Catherine Hepburn more. But I think we saw flashes of it in. I'm thinking of any. I'm thinking of ending every. Oh, okay. I'm thinking of ending boy, oh boy. things. Jesse Buckley. Uh, 
I think the parts where she takes control in there and then she does the I went to elocution class when she's <laughs> talking. Uh, I, I do I do have to correct you. You mispronounced Jesse Plemons, but yeah. go ahead. <laughs> no, not Jesse. It's the two Jesse. The guy, movie, right? Yes? The, the guy from no, that. You're talking, about the the, you're talking about the guy from Friday Night Lights. Not, I'm not. He I'm was doing, in uh, no. Breaking Bad. Nope, not Todd. He's so good. Uh, I love Game Jesse Night. Remember, he was the cop yeah, in Game nope, Night, not, Mike? Not Kirsten Dunst's husband, no. He was that same guy from Breaking Bad and El Camino, the movie from Breaking <laughs> El Bad. El Camino. You can tell because uh, in <laughs> everything he's in, his name is different than Jesse Buckley, Mike. Do you understand? Oh, <laughs> it's that who I'm talking about. It's Jesse Buckley. She ruled. Uh, spends five minutes in the car just reciting Pauline Kale in mm. that exact Catherine Hepburn voice. That's a good one, Greg. What, <laughs> what do we have for Catherine Hepburn? Uh, okay, so when I think of Catherine Hepburn, I think of like, just like kicking ass, taking names, filling her pockets with the things that she needs to carry with her throughout the day. Uh, Duke Nukem? And that reminds me of <laughs> Charisse Theron, uh, mm. who is, oh, kind God. of has like this... In aus- general, an incredible parallel. Austere, like, like in terms of career. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> austere beauty. Wow, damn. I've been giving Greg a lot of compliments tonight. <laughs> yeah, you know what? It works. It's. I think it's a good look for you, and I think it's made this show a little bit better. Uh, Greg heads, sound off on that in the comments. Um, but, you know, yeah. And, and, and like, she's done this cool thing, Sharice Thurhon, where, like, she's like, all right, I'm kind of, you know, I'm an older actress now, so I guess I'm going to do... Um, action movies almost exclusively <laughs> and it's like yeah. you're just taken along with it and you're like yeah this makes sense to me and like i think that that if that option had been more available to katherine hepburn uh but she had that like, when same- beauty is allowed to be given out to strength yeah totally yeah and and, and, and also and, a battle axe yeah it helps given to beauty <laughs> it's cool and, and not just a- like action Andrew movies chicks. <laughs> yeah not just action movies, but demanding that in the action movie that I'm in, I want a young black actress hired, and I will literally hand her the torch. This is the, the torch, the everyone. Yes. Check it out. It's going to her now. It's very good. Good answer, Greg. Thanks, Kate. Ryan. Catherine Hepburn. So when I think of Catherine Hepburn. Is your full name Catherine? Yeah, Catherine Is your Ann. full name Catherine Hepburn? Catherine Ann Francis as a Catholic. Jeracy Dellis, yes. <laughs> How many fucking names do you have? I have a lot of names. <laughs> it's such Catholic nonsense. That's how you know. It's such Catholic nonsense. <laughs> we get to just call like, nah, I get a couple more. We're doing a bunch here. Yeah. I'm not Catholic, so my name is Rye Ann. Yeah. Rye and it. <laughs> it's, a, it's no actually last a name law given. firm. Rye and Haley. Um, oh, come on now. And you know what? That, that sounds like a Jewish man and an Irishman, and it sounds very canonically correct. That sounds like uh. someone that would be inside of a noir. Kate, what is your Catherine Hepburn, Jesus Christ? My Catherine Hepburn, <laughs> Jesus Christ, is um, when I think of her, I think of someone who is playing with the idea of power through gender performance. I think of someone who is stoic and near statuesque, uh, and in that sense representative, and simultaneously a person who is incredibly good at showing extreme vulnerability. Who can who can say I am hard and then very quickly crack uh, and that be the beauty of the character and so I think Carrie Mulligan in uh, uh, Promising Young Woman makes a great Catherine Hepburn this year. I think that she would have done a great job in that role. Um, would have understood exactly what it was trying to accomplish as a women's college graduate. <laughs> If you guys put a gun to my head right now and said, name your three favorite actresses, I would say Charlize Theron, Carrie Mulligan, and Jesse Buckley. Mm. But 
Mike. Mike is taking it down yeah. for the Catherine Hepburn. No, your host. Living his head for 15 years. <laughs> Using Kate. that advanced Damn. emotional intelligence. Yeah, I know. Fuck. That's not emotional Kate. intelligence. That's just emotional knowledge. Yeah. <laughs> Ouch. Kate what? was not going to stand by and let somebody else have a compliment to their emotional intelligence. No, I'm going to no, be no, honest. No, fuck that. I can, I can promise you now I got the best one in here. I'm the LeBron James of emotional intelligence. <laughs> idiots. Kate, what does it mean to be a John McClane? And who is the 2020 oh. version of it? John McClane is punk rock. That's what fucking John McClane is. That's a person who comes in, storms through, doesn't give a fuck about who you think he is. He's going to do what he wants. He's going to be the most superior man in the room. He's going to feel confident in what he has to give. And fundamentally, it's going to be a problem. Uh, and in that way, I'm going to say it's Gary Oldman uh, yeah, for Mank. I think a similar level of willing to destroy his own life. I think a similar uh, command of this of the career in which he uh, finds himself. And uh, yeah, I think a general punk willingness to to kind of be an outsider comes in from I the will- east coast, gets stuck right away, has to like find his way out <laughs> oh, of the situation great. using yes. only his wiles. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I-, I will say that Mank has that thing of like, uh, "Hey, wife, I don't care about you. You're a stupid bitch." Exactly. Wait, why are you going to divorce me? This is unfair. Yeah. It's That's a man's story, and um, and I think that I think Gary Oldman did a good job on Mank of being a John McClane type in '30s Hollywood. Gregory, what do we got? Um. So John McClane is Joe Joe Lunchpail, right? This is not this is not a member of the SWAT team, right? This is just a New York cop, uh, and it turns out on the West Coast that basically is an action hero, right? In the land of sushi, right? And the profile. As far as uh, action heroes go, East Coast threes are West Coast tens, baby. Uh, but he finds himself in a situation. He just gotta. He's just gotta find. He's gotta do his best, you know, to find his way out. And he's gotta do what he can. And that reminds me, of my good friend Ryan, uh, oh, who shit. finds himself through no fault of his own, I'm sure, with a tiny little baby, and has to figure out what do you do. What and it has none of the yeah. natural skills, but is a enough of a na- is enough of a Superman to figure yeah. it out. And who's that baby voiced by? John McClane. <laughs> oh, no, Alan Rickman. Okay. <laughs> I was Greg, thinking Jeff Goldblum. Throughout the course of our 44-year friendship, uh, what is the actor that I have uh, most often referenced and talked about as my favorite? Probably Bruce Willis, yeah. It's probably Bruce Willis. Probably Bruce Willis. Really? Oh, yeah. Taste, we have grown up with Bruce Willis back from the moonlighting days when yeah. he was still just a TV star all the way through My now. mom's number one crush. Back oh, when he yeah. was in Gunsmoke, mm-hmm. she liked that he went Citizen bald, like my dad. Yeah, well, you know what it is? It's too much testosterone. So if you see a bald no, man, exactly. just my, know he's swimming in tea. That's what my mom <laughs> has told me since I was probably nine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh man, you'll notice bald my big there. full head of hair. <laughs> Low tea. Greg. Low tea. <laughs> oh no, Alex Jones, sell me pills. <laughs> Now, Mike, in order for Greg to make that choice, he didn't use emotional IQ. He used emotional knowledge, which yes, is uh, clearly a step down. <laughs> yeah. uh, who is your John McClane of 2020? I, I do think my, my the description from my esteemed competition 
Kate and Greg. Uh, they, they nailed what makes John McClane, but they both forget that John McClane is a, a physical, primal, somatic being. This mm. is a person who throws their literal weight around to get shit done <laughs> mm-hmm. and uses their, their knowledge of the area and wiles and improvises. And I think no one more uh, did that this year than Delroy Lindo uh, versus uh, his past versus Greg. his friends versus, of course, Ryan was going to give it to Greg because Greg just licked the shit off that boot. But <laughs> Del Royal and Del obviously would be the actual John McClane. I got my Ryan. boots all shiny, and then I went into town. So and got me embarrassed. Fancy boots. <laughs> <laughs> got to put mud on them. Mike, uh, I want you to explain to us the uh, our type of Robin Hood, and then who is your go-to? Before you tell us your 2020, is it... An actor? Is it a uh, cartoon? Who is like? Who is the first thing that you think of when you think of Robin Hood? Oh, before I say like the traits, who was my childhood Robin Hood, or who? Yeah, yeah it's. Uh, he doesn't speak with an English accent. He doesn't even try. But God damn it, does it have the best fucking credits of Robin Hood? It's Kevin Costner, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. <laughs> no, I agree. I, I totally be, agree. It's got to be the sexual fox. <laughs> I I didn't come into the sexual fox he until much later in life. Yeah. Okay, but I got but Mikey because of Kevin Costner. And now we know. Now we know that all three of you may have different Robin Hood go tos. Yes. So, what is the thing that uh, ties them all together? Like, what what do you have to have? I think Robin Hood is somebody who comes from the system and wants to go and buck and change the system. Right? Mm. He was a rich boy, got taken away. He went. Wait, let's think about the yes, Pope. Oh, wow, shocking for you to. Yeah, but the but the. He's 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 got a rebel with me. We're he's, on he's, a, show right he's now. charismatic. He's a leader. <laughs> uh, he is a sex pot, no matter what form he's in. Yeah. Uh, and I see you, Taylor Egerton. And uh, I think this <laughs> year's Robin Hood uh, is then emblemized by John David Washington. Oh, was, good AKA choice. the protagonist in Tenet. He's also good at throwing projectiles. Also, you know what's weird is that I, some for some reason I think of him as, as far as all superheroes go, being like one of the shorter ones, like Wolverine height. For yeah. some reason, Robin Hood and Robin of Loxley's uh, very short. Yes, I do think that John David Washington. Oh, is, he's a tiny boy. He's adorable. a little. He's a little small. So Kate, who's the Robin Hood of 2020? Uh, Sasha Baron Cohen, he steal from the serious and give it to funny. <laughs> <laughs> and Greg, Oof. who was the Robin Hood. That's not fair. Uh, Keith Gill was the main GameStop guy uh, who helped organize everybody to steal money from hedge funds. Give it to the, the poor folk. I thought somebody was going to say J.K. Simmons because he hunted down Andy Samberg with a crossbow. <laughs> <laughs> Which is very serious. I almost said your, serious Simmons. Your 2020 Marilyn Monroe is still Britney Spears. Your James Dean is Riz Ahmed. Your Catherine Hepburn is Jesse Buckley. Your John McClane is Ryan motherfucking hey. Haley. And your uh, Robin Hood is Sasha Baron Cohen. <laughs> when we come back, more First Cow. Lady and gentlemen. I think this is it. This is the moment that we've all been waiting for. What do we think of the relationship between Cookie and King Lou? Does their relationship go past being just friends? And hold up before you answer. Are such distinctions ultimately immaterial? Yes. To the second one, can I do that one first? I think it is immaterial. Sure. The, the bond they have, Mike. It, I don't think it matters both in this day and age or at, any day and age, how intimate and close and strong they are together. It doesn't matter if they bone. Uh, yeah. 
but the energy between them at any point did I sit up and go just fuck sure because <laughs> they it would they, it would mean so much to them well mm-hmm. the I mean okay I, I totally no, agree I, I think the 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 point of the movie is like I, I think that we don't have to have these boundaries mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. T- between types of love right mm-hmm. and I think that's totally interesting but I do have like this other question which is like people do have to bone some people not everybody but like. Yeah. Sometimes people's got to fuck, right? So I am just kind of wondering, like, where were these folks going to have sex? Because there's not a bunch of ladies around. I don't think there's like a, a I brothel. I think there was an incredibly strong homosexual community. I mean, when has that not been true? Mm-hmm. When have people been different than they are? Right. It's just yeah. the narrative oh, we chose to tell. Can I bring up ancient Rome? Hello, where nobody ever had homosexual but sex. There, there is <laughs> such the difference between like what like quote-unquote prison gay, which I bet a lot of the trappers were, versus mm-hmm. the, the way they treat Cookie the whole time. We mentioned like he, he wears like an off shade of pink, but he has a traditionally yeah. woman's role. He cooks. They need it. They're mad when he can't do it, but they are so angry and beat mm-hmm. the shit out of him that he doesn't have a mask role. And it's not just the pink, but also a level of empathy. You know? Yeah, he has yeah. empathy. He cares about the earth. A sensitivity, yeah. Um, but they are so uh, angry uh, at all times. What it is times, is an awareness when... of his relation to other people. Yeah. And yeah. that's <laughs> Continue, Mike. You're making excellent points. Oh, my momentum got. I I, I lost the track. I, I was on a track and I, I dropped oh. off. It's fine. But it's, I think you were I think so right though. Everything you were saying. The the what the movie underscores though really is that we there's this paranoia and it is a masculine paranoia mm-hmm. that our love that that the way in which men love each other will go past friends, past family, and all the way to the real romance stuff. And I think this story, which is about men, but handled in a, in a very, um, with a very feminine energy, mm. I think is about how, like, if we cannot police those attitudes so much and not worry so much, we can find a genuine love for each other that doesn't have to, like, be so delineated and so like prescribes right. like so y- y- you know and, right. and i think that really is a very like an achingly beautiful message that suffuses this entire movie and not mm-hmm. just like the end of it it's like in every moment of this movie yeah but and, uh, the, the way that i sort of look at it is that uh like this is uh and kate i don't know if you've heard this term but it i i, I think that it's a revisionist western <laughs> <laughs> super do you wanna... fans will know <laughs> do you want kate do you want to explain what that means yeah i do and I think that, that it starts with the facts that Westerns are not only like a cornerstone of the um, of the Hollywood myth of the global mythology that is Hollywood. It is also a story completely and entirely associated with America. And for that reason alone is fascinating for the tropes it creates, for the expectations, you know, it fulfills. Uh it's also commercially one of the cornerstones of the industry. So Westerns cannot be ignored. For what they do and what they mean. Uh, well, I, I mean, shit, like, uh, there's a time in American pop culture history where one out of every four movies and one out of every three TV shows had cowboys in it. it was like, the superheroes of its day. We were the all obsessed. Of its day. Yeah. Which, and it also ties in directly to, like, you know, the frontier being, like, part of the American right. persona going Absolutely. back to, like, yeah. And still, that's the, the like, I, what, what's, what's such bullshit, and still to this day that people are like, I'm free, I'm American, the wild, wild west, you made your own laws, and blah, blah, blah. But there's still, unless you were openly queer, and then that that's why this is a revisionist history, because the, the, the movie is celebrating that versus, like, a John Wayne movie would never 
have touched yes. upon, let alone selling. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, the fact that uh, every once in a while, Cookie and King Lou are like, "Hey, what's up? How are yeah. you?" Yeah, Westerns well, uh, checking Westerns in. What? Are what? How are you doing? That's rev- that's revisionist. Re- Westerns, and and I I love westerns. Like I cannot emphasize enough. My my family are are Texan. I grew up in Arizona. Like cowboy culture has been. She's holding a rattlesnake right now. You guys I can't see it. Well, I have, I, have, I have an upper upper arm tattoo that is literally a cowgirl. Um, Anytime <laughs> anybody in Kate's uh, family agrees on something, they pull out two six shooters and just shoot the shit out of the ceiling. Um, it was something that was noted quite often when we watched Friday Night Lights together was how convincing Kyle Chandler was because at the end of conversations, he'd go, all right now. And that's how you <laughs> knew. That's how you knew he was genuinely Texan. That's Texan as fuck. It's Texan as hell, man. Uh, how did we get here? <laughs> well, okay, so so let me. Uh, I have I'll, a I'll lot to say. Revisionist westerns, uh, yes. Or revisionist westerns, and the, so so westerns represent pretty much all the pillars of of what constitutes America in the imagination, and that it, those are quite often fundamentally problematic. So we have whiteness, we have masculinity, we have heterosexuality. Uh, big three. We have the big three. <laughs> and then also on that, like, we have entrepreneurship. We have the notions of, like, savagery, of the, no- the notions of, like, newness. Um, and all of it, and I think this movie speaks to it, is an, a- Westerns are exploitative. Mm-hmm. Move- the frontier was inherently, but, but so, are, so are the movies. And so, you know, when we talk about a revisionist Western, what what makes this a revisionist Western is that it's telling a story of the West that is not built on those pillars, you know, right. anything like, that it, isn't. Right. It's a it's a nuanced character study, and I fact I, I think that King Lou is like the biggest pillar, like you kept saying, Kate, uh, of it because he's the guy who was like, "Hey, what's up? Uh, I'm down for friendship. I'm a real <laughs> human. I'm a three dimensional person." Right. Also, hello, capitalism. Hello, like he <laughs> exactly. he has a foot in each boat of uh you know being a three-dimensional person who doesn't have to be one of those hillbillies but also enticed by it and you know know something i just thought oh go ahead no you what did you just think i just thought about the fact that there's something we find more based on our conversation when we weren't recording something we find more shifty about king lou because of his uh I think more confusing identification with the gender binary. I think Cookie's pretty distinctly feminine. I think that King Lou is someone that dances between the two. Mm-hmm. And I think that makes him inherently less trustworthy in like just our gut. Uh, uh, it's another like in between space that he occupies that makes him so interesting. There's that moment where he, he, there's that moment where he says like, you know, uh, he refers to Chief Factor as like being like a woman, mm-hmm. and he like mm-hmm. looks at, at Cookie, and there's like right. a, there's like a little breakage in that moment, and I think that right. it's hard. And there is also his his push, the entrepreneurial part of him pushes them into destruction, and right. so I think it's so masculine that, aggressive. That's a very yeah. yeah so I yeah. think that's where that comes and from. Poor too. Cookie, and man. I think the whole movie he's like. Just trying to be like, yeah, okay, and then he thinks he finds a soulmate, and then he goes, ah, yeah, yeah, okay. I don't, oh, I don't <laughs> like, read it but, like that, and I think I don't read it like that because I'm a straight woman. I think that's fine. I, <laughs> I think I think that I don't find it inherently tragic to fall into the line of a person who is thinking about like who has more masculine values. I don't no, no, think no, it's, it's inherently evil. Why? Well, I, I think that it's cookie. balancing. 
why you know i don't think cookie is yeah is is that with the trappers and with the town he has to definitely hide who he is he thought he could fully open up with king lou and then king lou is like look at that girly dude right and cookie's like fuck oh that's true that's true and that's true of queer communities to this day like outside of whether or not these guys are queer uh that goes back to masculinity as a status that is so fundamental to our society that any diversion from it is a diversion from power and therefore an insecurity and i i do think it's crazy that uh Kelly and Kelly Riker and the author uh, and whoever did what um, gave those roles to the person from China. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. you would think that th- those would be uh, the white person, the cookie right. will take over that. And then the Chinese guy will be like, what do I do? Here we go. But to have him have the mm-hmm. uh, a foot in each different role, Ryan, I think is so much more interesting. Thank you, Kate. Why, why, one, why, why that is more nuanced and smart. I still think there's the white privilege that cookie can get away with it more. I do think right. King Lou has to put that mask on and drive. Again, going back to the scene where he is identified the second he reveals his intelligence. Right. All right, so uh, let's get to the gay stuff. Um, <laughs> there's a... I, I want to hammer home on this real quick because there is a queer lens that we watch things through, right? Like, Or maybe we don't, but is available to watch through where you look at movies or whatever through a different lens than the mainstream lens. And then there's the straight up thinking that, oh, these two guys were fucking, mm-hmm. right? Those are two very different things. And I, I, do, I, I do feel a backlash coming on of uh, people saying not everything is Brokeback Mountain. Like you can't watch mm-hmm. Zack Snyder's Justice League and then just say, uh, gay lens, Superman and Batman were gay. Well, well all, all the different was theories. Was there a butt fucking scene? Because there was one in Brokeback Mountain, and I oh. do think that that helped clarify things. For you us. don't yeah. want to watch How I Would Pay for Henry Cavill to spit in his hand and then yeah, go when you spin Affleck. Baby. Oh, boy. when you show Actually, a character spitting okay, in his calm hand. Calm down, calm down. <laughs> uh, but I do think what, what, what I like, and this is like, I do think the internet oversimplifies everything. What I love about theory, right? If you're going queer theory, feminist mm-hmm. theory, uh, is it is a lens it's a cool different way to think about it other than mm-hmm. what is just on the page or the screen but right. it too many people are like now it's the only way and cross their yeah. arms yeah that's the, that is the beauty of it is it's these are all questions of perspective and right. that is what i think fundamentally a female director brings to, especially mm-hmm. female director that is sensual enough to take time uh, her showing up on the on the Oregon frontier in the 1820s, like I think that that is, I think that speaks to what you're saying. And it, it speaks to the point of this movie, and so <laughs> many of the things we've talked about is that men aren't traditionally in America allowed to be intimate. Deep friendship is inherently intimate. Therefore, there's gonna be people who watch these two people say friends and just go, no matter what, they're gay. Mm-hmm. But that even that is overly simple. Even like that's too woke right. for broke yeah. and saying no matter what, cause I want to see it, but just intimacy and relating to people, mm-hmm. we need to be more comfortable with that on every part of the spectrum. As in many things in life, like the fluidity is the beauty of it. Yeah. And, yeah. and is a, and, and is the conversation that's being had contextualized <laughs> by the frontier as such an extreme space, as such mm-hmm. a masculine space, you know, a violent space. Like it, it isn't, it, it's rough. <laughs> and anytime we show stories of tenderness or intimacy, when we are guarded in the way that at least that most people are guarded when they enter very masculine spaces, like, you know, I don't know. I, I think that, 
that one of the most important things to question in Western movies is is masculinity. And I think that intimacy is deeply tied, if uncomfortably so, to masculinity. Right. So what I'm trying to do is I'm, I'm not trying to have a conversation where we're like, uh, that one time where Cookie looked at King Lou and they looked at each other and then it cut. Oh, they totally fucked. It's a guarantee. And now they're gay for sure. What I'm trying to say is that uh, if you look at this movie through so many lenses, including queer, then you see that uh, uh, that like uh, what what a great like uh, what a great argument for uh, being close and tender and, you know, like having a best how important a best friend is. Well, uh, yeah, I, well, the argument is that Cookie and King Lou are the happiest characters throughout this whole movie because they don't have that masculine butch wall up. Even though they're the ones that they are that, that are the most scared, you know, yeah, they, like, they're, yeah. they're afraid in the town square and they're that's uncomfortable. That's what it is, right? But that's what, the, yeah, it's the it, it's the yeah, it's the exhilaration and the fear of intimacy is like, and I think that that's very feminine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. then we have the one the, in between, the which is that the, comes from the fear of being vulnerable, creates sure. a community that is hard to mimic. We didn't get a chance to talk about the kid who got pushed out of the line for an oily cake, and <laughs> like we, the camera just stayed on his face as he took it so hard. He took it so hard, and that that is the kid who sees stuff and doesn't necessarily say. He's the one yeah. who hunts them throughout the rest of the movie, uh, and you can watch the point of the movie in this kid's journey of like, do I give them up or do I see kindred spirits here? The last time you see him, he's looking through a window that is like the same aspect ratio as the film Hmm. itself. Like that's like the, yeah, truly, truly good job. Truly outrageous. All right, guys, here we go. Uh, You know what? Actually do answer with your name. Let's, let's pretend like this is trivia because we're almost out of time. Uh, Which secondary character deserves their own movie? Greg. Greg, that guy, that person we were just talking about. It was that was a layup, man. He deserves yeah. his own movie. <laughs> uh, Mike and Kate, anybody else? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> how about the how about the the William guy that that like is picked on by uh, like oh, the yeah. nerd in the beginning? You, yeah, you're right. The guy who has like brain damage Work. and a baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, the guy, yeah. The guy who plays the music that everyone hates. That's also, <laughs> what about that baby? Can we do a luck who's talking baby, thing with that baby? Yeah, the baby itself. Sorry. Uh, how would you guys distract a rich man from noticing that the other three of us are stealing milk? Tit flash, Kate. Tit flash, Kate. Oh, that's such a good one. I, I Ryan, I'm I'm also going to go with tit flash because yeah, I actually have a, not a bad set myself. <laughs> I'd say explain why estate taxes are bad. Oh shit! <laughs> that's so good. That's Damn, double Mike. taxation. <laughs> I bet he can't. <laughs> Holy crap! That's such a good shit, answer. man. That was <laughs> funny. That's the tit flash for men. <laughs> so Mike goes with tax flash. Uh, <laughs> does this movie tell us that cre- creature comforts are divine, wicked, or in between? Greg, Greg, uh, God, it's always it's always in between, isn't it? But it, it God like, isn't everything. You can find the beauty in one of these oily cakes, but there really was something so disturbing about watching them like push each other out of the yeah. way yeah. and put more silver on the line and everything. And so, like, it's uh, it's not just that it's a mix of those two things; it's right. that that line is breachable and mm-hmm. it, it it's it's a constant thing where it's like it's so hard to become in harmony with the things that give us pleasure, really. I think everybody deserves happiness, but then when I watched those guys eat them, I was like, Not you guys them. don't deserve happiness. Fuck yeah. you. <laughs> Mike, it's the, the difference between he- heaven and hell is they all only have pool cues to eat, but in hell they're starving, but in heaven they've learned how to feed each other, right? Mike. Yeah. Oh. Absolutely. 
Yeah, uh, I didn't make it up. How <laughs> long are you saying God did? God did. That's what God, God wanted. These sick fucking plans. Say it, brother. Is that what Tony Stark said? That's how God did it. That's how <laughs> we're going to do it. How long would it take you guys to down a gallon of whole milk? Hold up. You're not allowed to throw up. Uh, I got an answer. Kate? Nine hours. Nine hours. Mike? I got a sensey tummy. Kate? I actually, I do I do think that eight hours would be ridiculous and 10 hours would be ridiculous. I really do think that's the perfect answer. <laughs> I think, oh, I, I, think I nailed hours? it. I thought about it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I could do it in 20 minutes. I wouldn't throw up, but because I have the tummy Bullshit. I do, you I would literally I throw up. I would, throw up. I would absolutely throw up. Out of my butt. Shame. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Mike's severe intolerance would make it go right out of his butt. I'm so tired of your intolerance, Mike. <laughs> I hate lactose. Lactose is here. Uh, I can I can only take one answer for this one. Greg. <laughs> Greg, you're out. Oh. <laughs> How good them oily cakes look, Mike. Ooh, cake. Mike. So, have you ever been to a county fair and you see funnel cakes? Oh my god, they look so goddamn good. Honey, Honestly, you ever I see thought fried they look like turds? <laughs> well, I thought they look like turds. Here's my thing with westerns: is uh, even if they look good, they're being touched by the dirtiest fucking yeah. warm hands. You know. But he puts god, the honeycomb. He puts the cinnamon in. Oh, cinnamon, when he's cinnamon doing the, though. <laughs> when he's doing well, the whisking, he uses just a bunch of sticks. <laughs> I'm sorry. We were talking about risk from Martha wasn't Stewart. That like, wh- wasn't that a moment of like, wow, there really are only seven machines? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he used a pulley to get that milk. Wow, man. <laughs> I couldn't make a mouse trap car. <laughs> <laughs> when we were talking about um, uh, uh, Kelly Riker's tenderness, the cinnamon. We should have brought up the cinnamon. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's the just cinnamon. so gently put on Actually, there. Actually, every, every actor we've talked about is a Work. cinnamon. Uh, what would you name that cow? Greg. Kate. Mike. Greg. <laughs> I would have called her Iris because of her pretty eyes. Wrong. Mike. Mike. Cuddles because she's just so goddamn wrong. Cuddled. Kate. Kate. Zucchini. Produce is hilarious. I like that. Wrong. No, that's good. Her name is Firsty. Firsty cow. <laughs> first she came cow. on screen. I was like, oh shit, that is the first cow. That's the first cow, dude. She, nah, so she felt it, she felt important and beautiful. And, she, and by right. the way, uh, people who have not seen this movie, and it's insane that you're still listening to this podcast if you have not seen that <laughs> What's movie. What's wrong but, with you? But then again, it's not like I haven't been in that position. Uh, it's a full on hour before first cow comes on the screen. Yeah. When we come back, awards. Awards. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, we've already found out that the Academy Awards, or as I call them, no big deal, the Oscars, have decided to give First Cow zero awards. Because, uh, and we can tell that because they got zero nominations. But what <laughs> no, we're no, going to no. do right now is we're going to give them six it, motherfucking brother. awards right now. Boom. Chakalaka. Greg, we're going to start with Best Nature. Yes. Now, uh, this is a movie that understands nature. One thing that I I really like that it does is uh, put a bunch of nature in the very foreground. Mm. That's so cool. Um, (laughs) You know, like have like some reeds in the very foreground of the shot and then you have like action in the the middle. It gives a lot of depth. Like a Fantastic Uh, Four cover. (laughs) uh, I'm just remembering what you said, Ryan. The mushroom harvesting. That first Mm -hmm. cut to the mushrooms. I'm not lucky. I'm not even much of a mushroom guy, but it just, it was so beautiful and, and I don't know like supple it's a striking oh. moment I think it's something that mm-hmm. stands out in the movie yeah the crack well it's the moment between yeah. one time and not and the next yeah for which sure which is first you know that's the first thing 
Mushrooms are a crazy, gorgeous plant that is fascinating and looks like makes built people believe death. in God. It I just ta- that- it, t- it tastes like foot shit. Tastes like foot shit and built on death. You're eating the wrong one. Mushrooms are I'm like sorry. so. Someone important. talk about myself. <laughs> <laughs> Oh Jesus! All right, Mike. Do you, do you taste like foot shit, dude? Only only time will tell. <laughs> Mike, best nature. <laughs> uh, Cookie has been in and out of consciousness for a couple days, and he wakes up and he runs away from the nice people who helped him, and he sees the river. And that shot of the way the river is turning, and that the woods are there, and the sun is there. God damn, if that ain't nature. I said, God damn, Kate beat that. Oh, and by the way, and this is apropos of nothing. I forgot to mention that if you pick what I think should be the award, yeah. then you get double points. Oh, good to know. Uh, don't give a frig, so sorry, Ryan. <laughs> no, I know. Thank you, you're, next. you're a classic punk rocker. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like Mank. <laughs> so I think, I think the best nature was the one that covered the bones. And that is because I think that it symbolizes the whole idea of context, which is like super important to this film uh it is about time it's about um cover and it's about uh you know something that is incredibly natural and absorbs all so to me it very much is like the story of humanity is all that dirt that cover them bones like. And anytime Loam can get a shout like. out. Yeah, dude. Shout out to Loam. Shout oh, I got double. Loam. Yeah, that sucks, yeah. dude. It's that river shot. Kate. Yeah. Tenderest moment. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, tenderest moment, I think, is very obviously the moment where you know it's all okay. And that he knows it's all okay, that they know it's all okay for each other. And it's when, at the very end, when King Lou looks at the bag of money and puts it down and says, it's okay, I have you. And they fall asleep in exactly the position where Aaliyah Shockett finds them hundreds of years later. You know, that is... That's when the question of, and I think, wow, in this moment, I'm realizing, like, I think that is the question of, like, love and intimacy and tenderness of the human experience to begin with, which is, like, it is constantly a question. Do you we did, do you We didn't trust? talk about this a lot. Yeah, we didn't talk about this a lot, and spoilers, but uh, I think that King Lou could have moved on, right? Like, oh, Cookie was going to die. Several and he... times. Several times he could have left yeah. the vulnerable Cookie behind, and never once did he. But the threat was constantly there. And I think the I think, I think that speaks to intimacy, which I think this movie is about. And it's that you can never feel totally safe that that other person you know, completely has your back in some ways, you know, at least in my experience. Like, you, you definitely have... It's brave to trust people. It's brave. And then and that, when Aaliyah Shawkat dug them up and she was like, marry me. Mm-hmm. It was, it was <laughs> Mike, what's the tenderest moment? I mean, Kate was pretty tender, <laughs> I guess. But uh, I think more is when Cookie is milking uh, mm-hmm. the cow oh. for the first time and apologized to her for losing her husband and her calf. Oh, yeah. I cannot count the amount of times I almost burst into tears, but that was definitely one of them. Amen. I think it's so sweet the way he says husband, too. I know. (laughs) What it is, is it legitimizes and humanizes that relationship and says, Mm -hmm. I see it as real. Mm -hmm. To you. And that's what he right. wants, right? He wants mm-hmm. a husband. Like he, you know. Oh yeah. Him, yeah. I'm gonna cry right now. Damn, this <laughs> it's movie a beautiful. Is so I swear sweet. to fucking god. 
Uh, Sorry, so you I, talked to three bitches, Ryan. <laughs> that those are both good, very those very tender moments. So I'll just throw out another one, which I really like, which is uh, the moment when um, Cookie and King Lou go back to King Lou's place, and they kind of like each start. They just like get domestic right away. King yeah. Lou goes out and starts chopping wood. The dream, and Cookie Let's starts like cleaning up. Um, which that's exactly what my wife and I would do. She'd run out and go start chopping wood and I'd start cleaning <laughs> up around the, the house. But uh, She'd be better than King Lou was, though. Av- it took it's him about well, he had a hatchet. They had a very small axe. He had a very small axe. No, that's a different set of movies. But then when, uh, <laughs> when Cookie sits down after that, there's this moment as he sits down where you see him like completely relax and you realize you actually haven't seen the character completely relaxed yeah. until this one moment. Mm-hmm. And he's finally like real and the most fully himself that you've ever seen. Mm-hmm. And it's a great feat of acting because you see it happen in the audience and you see it happen the very instant it does. And it's like just a wave came over me when I saw that because it's like, wow, they are really together now. They're yeah. like... This is like the this this is intimacy. This is what intimacy yeah. is. There, which speaks to that performer's like ability is that it, it, with a breath he's able to say, "I'm safe now," yeah, and I'm with someone else. Like that's an and insane talent. We had the Oscar draft segment on this show. Fuck the Oscars, man! Like yeah. how these two guys weren't nominated either for best actor or best supporting. Uh, but yeah, Greg, like King Lou the whole time is like he's the most ambitious and he's going, but he's also one that's like too cookie. Relax, bud. Relax. And then to watch Cookie do it. Yeah. I'm going to give it to Mike, though. It wasn't my pick, but oh, it's, it's Milky Cow. Yin-yang. It's a beautiful yin-yang story. I got to tell you guys, gender. I, I probably got that award because uh, not only am I right, but Ryan and I have shared the hug between King Lou and Cookie so many times in life. Oh, <laughs> yeah. And I'll tell you guys this, this. That is the last point that I will give Mike because I don't want any more of those speeches. Yeah, Greg, silence. Biggest, biggest oh shit you moment. Gender traitor. Biggest oh shit moment. Okay. Uh, there's a part where uh, Cookie's recovering from his head injury and it, it's really bad. And like, you know, as the audience, you're like, how bad is this head injury? Seems like a really bad one. But he tries to move on at one point. He gets up, he walks out of this like shack that he's in. And there's just like, you think you see one wolf. And as you see the one wolf, you're like, oh, wait, no, there's two. And then as you see two, you realize I'm looking at like eight wolves right now. Again, and Cookie's just welcome like, to capitalism. Yeah. <laughs> and Cookie's <laughs> like, you know what? I'm just going to go back to sleep. But that moment where you suddenly realize that you have been looking at wolves and not realizing it, I thought was like, I literally said, oh, shit. <laughs> ultimately, well, asshole. I, I said, oh, dear. Because I don't know how you're living your life, but uh, the response to everything should be, oh, I'll just go back to sleep. Yeah. yeah. Mike, oh, shit moment. Uh, it's when Toby Chief Factor is eating the oily cake and talking about Kensington the whole time, which was like, oh, shit, <laughs> which is the same face King Lou was making. <laughs> and he oh, names Jesus. every ingredient except for milk. Yeah. That guy's yeah. so dumb. Mm, a hint of cinnamon from this branch. <laughs> Kate, oh, shit moment. Ah, when the cow no cookie. I'm sorry? Uh, when to cow no cookie? <laughs> when to cow no cookie. When to cow, when to cow no, no cookie. cookie. At the When they're all standing around the cow. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and, and the cow's I don't like, know why I'm helping. Kate, take thank the you, cow's Mike, like, I know this guy. Fundamentally understanding me. I'm saying the moment when when they're all surrounding the cow and uh, chief factor is talking about how little milk it yields, and we see the tenderness like the obvious intimacy between the cow and cookie. And we see the visiting general or whatever he is like 
saying like noticing clocking clocks he clocks it, it. Yeah. and and that is the scariest moment because there is nothing scarier than someone that you don't feel safe with clocking your vulnerability or clocking these weird frenemies that we never these we didn't even frenemies. get to talk about these two guys who have so much erotic energy in yeah, their hate talk of about each it other. yeah truly yeah <laughs> uh Hatred great job is incredibly guys but erotic. uh <laughs> I will award no points. The oh shit moment is where the cow is on the boat and then it's on the land and then first cow. So <laughs> Big that's for me. Uh, Kate. Yeah. In a Kelly Reichert movie. Mm-hmm. Cringiest moment. Oh, I think it's the I think it's the moment when after they are semi discovered as stealing the milk and have to go on the run and, and are separated. I think we are led to, uh, to believe when he's like at the canoe that he abandons, abandons cooking. And I think that, I think that any moment, but especially that one, which like instinctively we as like Aristotelian viewers of three acts believe like (laughs) this should be like when this happens and uh, and we already know the big thing of them getting caught has. I think having, I think having King Lou be in a position in which he can leave. Like every time that is powerful, the reassertion. Because Cookie, I don't think is ever the character we think is going to bail. King yeah. Lou, as the more mask of the two, is the one yeah. that we're worried will abandon intimacy. Um, Especially when you think the whole movie is about. Okay, fine, movie. Be slow. I get it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm still going to watch you. So it, it, it's at least about these two guys. Yeah. And then you're like, no, wait. No, I already invested in these two guys. That can't happen. Pick one. I choose mom. Greg, <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> Cringiest moment. Cringiest moment. Um, so the movie's pretty good on this score, except for I feel like Native Americans are present, but not integrated in the same yeah. way that ev- everybody else is. And so... and. Uh, I, I, w- I don't want to venture a guess as the reason why, but there's almost an ornamental um, quality to them. And it's like, I feel like we're inside everybody's head and we know what everybody's up to. And they, 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 they talk about what they're into. And then there's just these people who we can't understand and everything. And so, you know, that's, it just felt, it felt yeah. a little uncomfortable. Generously, it's her saying these are outsiders. But yeah. I think that saying in a Western, these are outsiders, isn't groundbreaking and isn't giving anyone an opportunity. And she's trying to make a movie from the perspective of King Lou and Cookie, and they probably yeah. also thought those same things. But mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's I think it's hard to encompass everybody. Yeah. And I also agree that I think Gary Farmer, or I, I said agree, disagree. I think Gary Farmer, who played Tadalikum, who was the Native American in chief factors house Mm -hmm. his his reaction stuff the whole time he understands more than the whiteies think he does yeah Yeah. and i i do think we know what he and his wife are steps ahead of what right uh the the white man is asking him and they assume that means stupidity again because of uh, because some people can never imagine being stolen from Including when Cookie and King Lou say, Beaver, I don't want to eat beaver. And he's like, yeah, I know you guys don't. <laughs> <laughs> Joke's on you. Beaver one. rules. <laughs> and deep down, rule. you know. Mike, cringiest moment, and you can include the thing I just said. Uh, the, the moment up, I man. cringe the most <laughs> is when I realized I laughed at Ryan's eating beaver joke. <laughs> but... Uh, in the movie, this is my personal, is when Cookie thinks he's gotten away, slips in mud, the thunk of his head meeting oh. that rock made me visibly react. No. It 
is such a rough sound. As somebody who's clumsy and has hit his head on a lot of things, I did not like hearing that. Yeah, no. it was it was horrifying, but not totally in the tone of the award. So that's going to Kate. Uh, director's signature move, Greg. Kelly Reichert directed the fuck out of this movie. What did she do the best? For me, the the like most baller move of the entire movie is that opening shot of the boat very slowly moving across the the. That's the putting frame. your goddamn nuts on the table. Because yeah. and honestly, it is it. It, it's not which just is like why a... I thought it was a masculine director at the very beginning of the movie. I was like, only a man would assert yeah. this level of quote indulgence. Yeah, she went out and got truck nuts and put those <laughs> on the table. I feel yeah, and so she's engaging with that head on. She is setting the pace for what the movie is, and I think honestly, by the time you get to the end of that, you you don't have an adversarial relationship with the movie anymore. You're like, okay, I get it. I think I'm ready for this. And it, it like reprograms you in one very quick shot. Really, ultimately, it is a quick shot. It reprograms you and gets you ready for the, you know, what the rest of the experience is going to be. And she didn't know this at the time, but what it became was, oh, this movie, most people are going to watch streaming. And I wanted this to be in theaters, but uh, pandemic and whatnot. Uh, and so they're all going to come her. to this. That's on her. Yeah. Kelly Riker, why'd you start the pandemic? A man but, would uh, know to think ahead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, but they're going to come off watching binging TV shows. And so I do, like we've talked about before in this episode, I do think it's like, a, uh, you might not belong here. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Mike. Move along. Director's signature move. I'm going to start broad and then narrow down to the specific moment I mean. Uh, I'm going to say the edges. Having uh, with, with night moves and now with this one, I, I think she's so good at the edges of scenes where other people would cut off. And I think this is particularly important to talk about this week. We're recording Zack Schneider's uh, Justice League came out. There's no edge of his scenes because his scenes just keep going forever. But Kelly Reichardt, her scenes, so many times you think they will end and they linger on somebody. And then at first you're like, dumb, cut. And then later she's telling the story of a place and the specific moment I'm talking about that I'll, uh, if I have to pick up uh, a response is you do, the right? wives. Yeah. Tata, it's oh, our job really? right now. Yeah. You have to play she by the rules. wife and Todd Alicum's wife. Uh, all the men leave and then the wives sit down and just start talking and actually talk about the things they care about. Yeah. And you're like, oh, she's telling the story of a whole entire place just through the eyes of two people. But everybody has their own first cow movie right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, in the speed round, we talked about what side character do you want a movie most by, and we've sort of been talking about side characters the entire night. Like, and it's not because she ever puts the spotlight on them; it's just that she doesn't remove the spotlight from them. Right. You know? mm-hmm. It's very impressive. Kate, director, signature move. I think it's a scene that has been brought up a couple times, and it's because it's it's a, like a a very big seam within the narrative itself. And I think it's the cut from the Aaliyah Shockett scene to the, to the mushrooms. Um, I think that it's very slow, which is very Reichardt. I think it's very um, exploratory, which I think is very Reichardt. And I, I think that it is emphasizing a lot of themes that she's to me, like very clearly laying out, which is like time because time is what it takes to grow life from death, which is what fungus is. Um, and there is something incredibly like feminine, obviously, to foraging. And the slowness with which you watch a cookie 
you know, he's not violent in his hand movements at all. And I think it eases you into the world as Cookie sees it. And then when you see or interact, and the way that Cookie sees it is, is very much in tune with nature as a very feminine perspective. So when you see him then interact with like the band of hooligans who are so aggressive and vulgar immediately, like just a simple long shot of someone's hand picking up mushrooms, I think conveys an entire film's tone. Without the law and order, here is (laughs) how, here's the time that we were in. Here's the time that we're in now. Mm -hmm. I do think it's confusing and it's frustrating and purposeful. And I loved it the second time and I wasn't exactly sure. Like, you know, in like the, in that Greta Gerwig, Little Women style, like, mm-hmm. I think I know what the timeline is, but I'm not totally sure. Mm-hmm. And I have two options. I can either enjoy it or it can make me angry. Uh, I think that's what she does with this. And so, yeah, I'm going to give that to Kate. Kate. Last award. We're going to Kate. It's pound for pound performance. Oh, I think it's so Ryan Lee. I think, I mean, and I feel like I kind of steal that answer i think he's very obviously the one who kind of carries us because he he's asked the most um you know cookie uh what's his name john john magaro uh, the italian uh who i think is john magaro uh john magaro uh he um she's allowed to make that noise nobody else no one else i am uh the ethnic of the group and um (laughs) (laughs) Uh, no, I think that Orion Lee is, is like we've talked about before, asked to traverse, like, he's like the manifestation of intersectionality, yeah. navigating capitalism, which is yeah, the I think most that we American is- story. And he does such a good job at being constantly, um, you don't, you, you both want to trust him and you don't and he both seems protective like the patriarchy and like scary <laughs> you know i think he he represents a lot that is that is awesome about the movie is that it does uh walk you along the line of why don't you want to trust him and yeah. what does that say about you mm-hmm. fucking racist uh he, it gives i think that it give the movie gives him less to do than john majara but that doesn't mean that the performance mm-hmm. yeah the actor exactly. still might do more mike where are we going yeah, I I hate to agree with Kate. I'm gonna put that down. Uh, <laughs> I do think it's a Ryan Lee. It's it's the the moment I want to drill into to to, and I think he does this throughout the film. But is when Toby Chief Factor is eating that cake. The the things that Ryan Lee does of concern, worry, and this goes over Cookie's head. Cookie's not when when Toby Chief Factors talk about Kensington and all the ingredients. Uh Cookie's just like, hell yeah, I made a good oily cake. And Orion Lee's like, oh fuck. Yeah. Oh wait, what could we get out of them? And it's all blending together. And then and you know what? at Pop Filter, all we ever want is two things at once. Exactly. And I think that Orion in that moment does something that is beautiful in terms of like the yin and yang of the of the two, which is you know like one of the beautiful things that quote masculinity at the more masculine end of the spectrum, which I think he, you know, represents throughout the film is, is the instinct and ability to provide safety or awareness, Mm. you know, even if it's not, even if we're not saying like the mask people in the world to be aware, like that is the, well, we are, you are. And that is the kind of, I mean, we are, we are, and that's the connotation. Uh, uh, And so I think, I think moments in which you see Orion's instinct to protect Cookie mm. are moments of seeing the beauty of what masculinity brings 
to the table. You know, what what it is that those men are bringing, which is hope to the frontier. You know, there is beauty in what it is to be a man. And I think that Orion does that really be- nicely. Thank you. Yeah, you guys are welcome. <laughs> hope via biceps. <laughs> Greg, what do you think? What is the pound for pound best performance? I guess for me, it's going to be John Magaro. And I, I think probably I identified maybe more with him, but I, I feel like so often you can see on his face exactly what he's going through, even though that is such an emotional, um, he's got such a, a, a deep emotional landscape. But, you know, he is a, the character is someone who is very safe. But then in loving, love somebody who is a lot less safe than they are. Mm. And, you know, if you love someone who's dynamic, it, it can be scary. And I think he did a really good job of, of portraying that. And so for me, it, it was it was him. Uh, if I can jump on Greg's bandwagon, Where? I want to say, like, I've seen this kid in a few things. And John Majaro as Tibbet in Overlord, which is a dope, weird Nazi monster movie. And then as the bad guy in season one of Umbrella Academy. <laughs> I don't think his range was shown in those projects and he he's going places. He's very good. And I understand why Ryan uh, insulted and spat in mine and Kate's face right there. <laughs> yeah. Sorry about that. But that's a clear answer. Sorry. He was given the least to do, actually, even though he had uh, the most screen time, the least to do. And I thought killed it. Uh, last segment, guys, before we get to uh, who won the show is recommendations. I'm going to go first. Ryan. Uh, if you, <laughs> you get the point for going go first. For yeah. Um, the movie, the movie that this reminded me of the most was McCabe and Mrs. Miller, and this is a movie. Of course, you! yeah, that is that is what this is. <laughs> Mike, did you have that as I well? An Altman film. Well. Yeah, I that was on my list as well. Okay, Mike, why don't we uh, alternate words on <laughs> All explaining right. this? You go first. Uh, the reason why this movie reminded me of it so much is that. Uh, it's very clear. It's not that people in the West were dopes or clowns that always tripped on things, but they actually did have to go through some shit. They also they had to go through some self-reflection and some, uh, am I doing the right thing? Like, is this the best way to handle women and Native Americans? I don't know. Yeah. It seems like what I'm doing is weird. Instead of just uh, making mo- a movie that's <laughs> like, here's what we do. We punch a bitch and kick an Indian. Yeah. Yeah, this 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 is so obviously Ang Lee by way of Altman mm-hmm. and Ooh, and blending this thing. Mike, things. that and is it's true. <laughs> Thank you, Kate. Uh, yeah, anytime we make poetry noises at each other, Ryan, I'll give them a support. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it, 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 everybody thinks ultimate freedom of the wild, wild west. Chikacha is you can do whatever you want, but what it means is you have to look in that mirror and make those hard decisions and watching them go through that. And then the the Altman style of, there's a few scenes in here where eight characters are talking over each other. And podcast I'm like, what? Robert Altman, <laughs> Altman is the inventor is of podcasting, for sure. <laughs> and, and there's those vibes of like, oh, you Love want me to get narrative. the vibe of how chaotic even the simpler times were. But like, what, what strikes me about this movie and because it is somebody who doesn't give a fuck about like the, the Western man with uh, first cow. And then also with McCabe and Mrs. Miller is even in unforgiven with, which I think is sort of like the go to classic revisionist Western revisionist Western. Like uh, Clint Eastwood at some points thinks about things. He's like, Hmm, should I? Hmm, I will. <laughs> and then does it. Whereas there's a scene in McCabe and Mrs. Miller where Warren Beatty like walks out of a, uh, a bar 
and it's snowy outside, and he just trips and eats shit for like eight minutes. You know? <laughs> yeah, like, I think awesome the scene. cinematic vocabulary is verisimilitude. There is a reality <laughs> we all trip. to Reichardt's depiction that like feels very Altman esque. Again, yeah, you, someone you comfortable don't always playing get with to look time. Cool. Right. You don't look yeah, cool. You don't look cool in real time. No one ever has. Yeah, there's no two, slow motion two walk. <laughs> Can I change one my Catherine Hepburn to Kate based on just how she said verisimilitude? <laughs> uh, and then if I was not going to do another movie, Mrs. Miller's Secret is a band is a song by the band Silent Comedy that captures the essence of that song very well. Oh. He's going to give points to you guys. He hates the Silent Comedy and hates when I bring them up. <laughs> All right, so Mike, that was yours. Kate, was that yours? No. What is what is yours? Mine is uh, one of my favorite love stories between men because I really do love when it's when those relationships are explored with tenderness. Um, you know, I I hated the lighthouse because I think that's how a man would navigate intimacy between other men in which there requires yeah. violence, it requires a lot of bullshit that I'm not looking for. Requires lighthouses? For is, it requires lighthouses, it requires Ugh. mermaid vagina. It's like, it's just, it requires literally drinking gasoline. So uh-huh. my <laughs> the, my choice is Dang very shit. much rooted in um, a story, I've probably watched this movie over 10 times, I think I love you, man, is one of the better sweet stories out there. I think Paul Rudd and Jason Segel are playing the best versions of themselves. I think they're being very sincere. I think they're playing to their strengths and to their own senses of humor. And throughout all of it, it's very, it's so silly. And that's like the coolest thing about masculine relationships is that the, the bond is one in which like it is very very often when they're close, very silly and sweet in that way. And it's like the one space in which they feel safe to be silly. And, uh, and I think that I love you, man is like, uh, it's a movie about two guys who are trying to be friends, but I also think that it's about two actors who are trying to learn how to act. And it's just, (laughs) it's the two of them, like trying to break down walls of being both of them, like Paul and Jason being like, I don't know, man, this is stupid. Right. Well, what that is, is, is men learning how to be sincere. So I yeah, think that those right. performers were doing a very, very good job of like learning how to be themselves while mm-hmm. creating a relationship. You know, it's Agreed. a sweet movie. I, Kate, I love that you brought up silly, Kate, because I think silliness is so vulnerable. Because mm-hmm. it's either you're making the person laugh or they're about to hit you mm-hmm. right in the Funniness temple. Funniness is cerebral. Silliness is personality. And like to buy into like, this is what I see is silly. <sighs> Is like scary. I know voices are very silly, and that's (laughs) one thing when you know you're close to people is when you. Okay, I think this is going to be a hard one for you to win because Mike literally picked the thing that I picked. But uh, let's go to Greg to see what he came up with. Uh, For what my suggestion, uh, this movie is about a lot of things, but I think kind of at the core, it's about um, how the West was won. And <laughs> I think that that's an important question. But Wait, is I think it the Olsen film How the West Was Fun? Ryan, <laughs> that's exact. Yes, that's the joke that I was going to say. The Olsen film How the West Was Fun. I was clearly building a I'm pathway sorry. to that. Fuck Ryan as a host. Am I right? Greg. <laughs> I'm sorry, Greg. <laughs> How was the West fun? Um, <laughs> you'll have to watch the movie to figure it out but it was fun in a lot of ways that i think this movie also celebrates 
I feel That's terrible. It, Ryan. That's so Here, I'm done talking. Now. Here's another Greg point. <laughs> because there's two Olsen twins, there's two Greg points. Mike takes it down. Greg, I swear to God, I thought that there was no way that would be it. I'm going to give you another point. Uh, when we come back, we're going to find out who is the winner of this episode. Tastes like foot shit and built on death. And that is First Cow. Guys, how do we think that First Cow is going to do? I really do. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. It's, it's, I know I said this last week, but this might be the movie to take it all down. Yeah, I, I think it's got, it's got so much for specifically us. And then it just feels a lot. It feels nice the entire time. It, it's a nice movie for nice people. <laughs> and I think that that's going to help. My father, out. a nice story about nice people doing nice things. Yes. Exactly, right? It's and isn't that what the beautiful kind of movie? Buy if cookies, you can have cookies. If you can have a deeply profound movie that speaks to the human experience and then also both of the main characters in it are such big sweeties, you like, if I see these actors, I'm going to hug them in a post-COVID world. <laughs> to me, the archetype of that story is Little Miss Sunshine. That's the story of a bunch of people who are fundamentally sweeties. Yeah. Greg Kinnear counts for you as a sweetie. (laughs) Oh, yeah. There's a sweetie in there. I mean, if Uh, you haven't seen it, then that's on you. There's an edge, too, but it's an edge around sweetiness. Mm. I'm glad. Would you have liked this movie better if Greg Kinnear played the voice of the cow and responded (laughs) back to Cookie? I was like very uh, weird about her weight. His weight, yeah. <laughs> He's constantly projecting fears of loserdom on the rest of the. Uh, he hey actually girl, are you, are you trying to cheer yourself up about your kid dying by eating extra grass or something? <laughs> I'm just asking. I want to make sure you're staying healthy. I'm a little nervous about this movie because Greg is clearly the cookie, and Kate is clearly the king Lou. Mike is obviously the cow, and I'm the guy with the mouth harp. And I think that I get screwed in that. Or what? Wouldn't you be the like the Scottish guy? Oh yeah, yeah. you're the dude from Train Spotting for sure, you asshole. (laughs) The guy, the guy who just has a head that is head should not be shaped like that. That's probably me for sure. (laughs) I love love you. Finally, gotten head to beard ratio down, and I'm proud of you. Uh, Coming into last place tonight is Ryan, 15 points. That's Uh, huge for a host, which is. is almost halfway to the the winner tonight. Yeah, that's a good score. Kate, you won last week. Yeah. And then fell asleep. You got 26 points. Oh. I I believe in absolutely everything I said. I guess you're less of a cow and more of a promising young woman, and that's why you won yeah, last week. Yeah, and that's week, what we're finding week. out in if, this moment. If you're looking for your laurels, I believe that you're resting on them. <laughs> oh! <laughs> you burnt. Boom. Boom. Uh, like I think that we all like know how this goes. that you sit on after <laughs> surgery. <laughs> I think that we all know how this goes. Uh, Greg After picked you neuter me. <laughs> first cow in the Oscar draft to get uh, nominations. It got zero. I yeah. I but Mike got 29 points, three points over Kate. Greg got 36 points Shit. and won the whole fucking show. Boom. That's Let's fair. give it up for our not traditionally masculine boys cookie, who grow cookie, big beards cookie. to hide behind <laughs> so that nobody can ever hurt them. I'm Boom. more of a Trapper Dan, so. <laughs> <laughs> On the Oscar draft show, we talked about vote splitting. You know, like, is that a real thing? Do you guys think with the Best Actor sh- or a Moody Award, do you guys think that these two will split the vote? Should we go, like, one of them being supporting? How do we how do we do these two performances? They're co-leads in my book. They're co-lead vocals, mm-hmm. yeah, for sure. 
Yeah. Yeah, so, I don't think I don't think that Cookie carried it more than King Lou at all. And I think I think that you kind of implied that, Ryan, and I think that this movie is pillared on the Orion Lee performance. More so than than uh the John Italian name. John Are you saying, Are you saying Orion? Orion. 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 Lee. Orion. <laughs> you clearly, yeah. That uh, is this <laughs> Now that Mike has said that, that is this week's episode of Movie of the Year. We have so many other 2020 movies ahead in store for you guys. I don't even know how to tell you what is next. There's going to be so much flying Fast and Furious at you that none of them will be an actual Fast and Furious movie. Oh, fuck. Yeah, sorry. That comes uh, out 2021, baby. June. Fast 9. I do want to thank Kate. I want to thank Greg. I want to thank Mike. You're welcome. Uh, oh, that one, you choked on my name a little, buddy. I don't I'll, know. I want to thank you. Mike Kate last because Greg, you are my best friend until next week. And until next week, keep watching those movies. Shit and built on death.